This is the Rewind Movie Podcast. We're movie fans, shit spinners, individuals with no real critical insight whatsoever. You are about to enter the world of our imagination. You are entering our dark place. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Welcome back to May of the Dead. Uh, you could have said freeze or rock. <laughs> it's the return of the living dev in London. And now available in a really gross, full, uncut German version. It's Cemetery Matt in South Korea. Uh, and I want to see all them guts. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've descended into... Uh... A perverted mess already. It's uh, it's begun. Welcome back to uh, May of the Dead, part two. The disappointing sequel. <laughs> <A> difficult <laughs> second album. Exactly. This is we uh, we are continuing our zombie movie a day marathon for Zombie Awareness Month. And uh, last time out, we covered the first two and a bit weeks of May. And we also managed to cover zombie movie history from 1932 all the way up to 1990, I believe. Wow. Well, there's nothing really much to introduce. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back and, and do that. And uh, we're going to jump straight in. Uh, we're up to Monday the 17th, and I think it's my pick. Is that right? It is indeed. We're going to go with Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive from 1992. On this picturesque block, in this manicured home, something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying is haunting Lionel. His mother. I thought I told you to spray this house. The place is infested with vermin. Although she was a little strict. Look at this dust. It's an inch thick. He never wished her any harm. You look after me. Until... <laughs> your mother's dead, Lionel. Now, whatever mom's got... Who's your mother? ...has caught on with the neighbors. You can pray. I kick ass for the Lord. You can plead. You can beg for mercy. But nothing you can do will stop. Because how do you kill something that's already dead? Trimark Picture presents a modern masterpiece of horror. Dead alive. Party's over. Fantastic. Yeah, this one is directed by uh, Peter Jackson. Um, it was the first Peter Jackson film I ever saw. I saw it with my friend Rob Langridge. Do you know Rob Langridge from Darlington Tech? 
I do, I do, uh, indeed. Yeah, um, I saw it with him. Uh, we had it on a VHS tape, and it was the cheapest, nastiest thing I'd ever seen at the time. I w- it was barely a film. Um, and <laughs> I could, I, I couldn't appreciate any of the cheapness because I was, I wasn't into shoddy films. I was into Hollywood um, standard fare, really. So. Um, the 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 stop motion of a Sumatran rat monkey was less impressive uh, then, right. you know. But today I can really get into the uh, the, the effects and the, uh, the the overall sort of gaudiness of it. Um, my joke about being fully uncut German version was actually linked to this because that's the the one I watched recently. Uh, it's on YouTube. Right. It's in the playlist. Uh, both versions, actually. I think it's the theatrical and the the uncut one. Uh, it was the goriest film I'd ever seen at the time. Um, the uh, the miniatures are fantastic. Uh, the the town, uh, the trams that were built. Um, it's uh, written by Fran Walsh and uh, Peter Jackson together, who of course went on to do Lord of the Rings along with Philippa Boyens. Uh, there's some really clever forced perspective. Um, the the lead is kind of an emasculated Matt Bellamy from Muse lookalike. <laughs> um, he he's called Lionel. He's played by Timothy Baum. Um, and the whole thing is just Kiwi madness, really. Um, I, so this was was this the the first was was Peter Jackson operating in a vacuum, or was <laughs> there like a little? like a, a a filmmaking circuit of like New Zealand sickos or was he really one of these kind of standalone pioneers I mean alongside the team he worked with that is Richard Taylor who has a very unusual accent he would over enunciate everything <laughs> very flight of the concords if you listen to um the commentaries on some of Peter Jackson's stuff and uh um, particularly the behind the scenes, the appendices of the Lord of the Rings that I really like. Um, right. Richard Taylor is there. He's the um, uh, production designer and uh, effects. I don't know if he's a production designer. Actually, he's, he's definitely the effects maestro behind okay. uh, a lot of this. But uh, as far as it being the first, I'm not too sure, or the only, I'm not too sure. But uh, Bad Taste was Peter Jackson's first, and then Meet the Feebles, and then uh, this one, Brain Dead. And apparently, he's going to re-release the the these three films in 4k um very soon oh god is he gonna put some uh digital smush over them to make sure that everything looks pristine i, I think he is going to do a restoration but i don't think there'll be any um george lucas shenanigans fingers crossed anyway i did want to say okay. that uh, around 2010 peter jackson was my filmmaking hero i copied him by uh buying a, a bolex uh, he had he had the SBM, so he could do Super 16 on uh, Bad Taste, but I couldn't afford that, so I went with a Bolex H16 Rex, it was called, and I made um, a failed horror film that um, I usually talk about on the Rewind pod, and you did some uh, makeup tests for. and Did some makeup tests for, and uh, at one point we discussed um, uh, that maybe I might try and write a comic book, and you gifted me a, a, a whole raft of notes, and the uh, and uh, uh, character designs. We called them gory books. And it was just, it, it could um, have been a comic book, a v- very basic comic book. And then I realized that I'm an extremely slow uh, <laughs> sketcher. And to get through an entire comic book would take me approximately 17 years. 
Well, yeah, it would be great, though. But it, it was kind of interesting. It was a prologue to a vampire film that didn't really happen. But it, it, it was weirdly a lot like a zombie film in many ways. My my vampires were more like From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, right. Uh, ones which kind of owe a lot to the to, to zombie lore. But anyway, th- this one is incredible. It's got um, it's kind of sickening and a very disgusting film. Uh, Your mother ate my dog is one of the lines uh, if you want to be teased. Uh, there's a decapitated nurse syringes up the nose uh, a zombie nurse chewing off a vicar's face while they have sex Uh, it descends into chaos with a lawnmower Um, fans of Lord of the Rings will recognize Jed Brophy uh, popping up here and there Uh, it it really owes a lot to the evil dead I think and Peter Jackson is an absolute lunatic and people forget this about him because he seems so normal, but he's, he's crackers and you'd have to be to make this film. Um, There's a, there's a very disturbing scene or two with a baby being kicked around a park. Um, There's a blender. There's all kinds of unusual things here. If you like your zombie movies gross, then I highly recommend uh, brain dead or dead alive if you're one of our american friends gross and kind of puerile which it, is, it is um yes yeah which uh, it's it's not a terrible thing it's not a terrible thing to be to be childish in these things like it, even though he's he's been so established at you know at the at the upper echelons of hollywood for as long as he has i think you're right in that it's just bizarre to think how weird he was and how any I, I I love uh, uh, Heavenly Creatures. I think it's a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's weird enough that he managed to transition from this kind of schlock to that, and then use that as a stepping stone to to create you know one of the the biggest, most kind of grand, lush trilogies in in recent Hollywood history. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, yeah. But lastly, there's the the satirical kind of elements of it were lost on me when I was younger. I was too young to get any of the the humor really. I was just too dumbfounded by the gore and the the gross out nature of it. But it is darkly funny and I think he used to say to his mum and dad cuz I think his mum and dad were concerned about him after seeing some of his films <laughs> and he used to say there's a laugh with every drop of blood. And I think that's that's true of uh, his, his initial first few films and certainly of of Brain Dead. Yeah, so he's uh he's keeping it light while keeping it unbelievably dark and fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all just a lark at the end of the day. Yeah, it yeah, it's really. I said that about Evil Dead on the blog that it, it's it's harmless fun at the end, and the the kind of jovial music that plays us out in Evil Dead uh, kind of says it's okay to laugh now. This was this was all just a bit of fun, and Brain Dead is is in a very similar vein, I think. Uh, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. So uh, I will, in fact, as we go through a, a lot of your picks for this second half, we'll see that um, the majority of the, the, the second half of May of the Dead is weighted towards your picks, mm. um, which displays a kind of, I sort of uh, became a, maybe a little disillusioned with kind of later zombie films. So I, I have less... Um, Maybe less affinity with with some of the titles, but uh, certainly Brain Dead is one that I've been meaning to rewatch because I've not seen it since probably university days. And like you say, I, I think 
outside of the the more outre splatter gore ridiculous sequences it, it, most of it's been lost to the to the sands of time so um, yeah I'd, I'd like to get back into this one well if you're feeling brave and you fancy seeing a zombie baby emerging from a woman's face by tearing it open uh yeah then then go for this one <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> cool. All right. um, well, let's move on to uh, Tuesday. Uh, this is the 18th of May. It is. And this is one of my picks. Um, it's a sequel to uh, one of the films that we discussed last time out, one of my favorites. Uh, we've skipped over the second film in the sequence, and we've gone straight to 1993's Return of the Living Dead 3, directed by Brian Usner. They vowed to stay together forever, that their love would never die. But their pledge remain untested. Oh, cool. No problem on the boss's son, remember? Until they went looking for a thrill and stumbled on the chilling fact. Let's proceed. That even the dead can go on living. It came into life. We gotta get out of here. And tonight, fate will put their promises. Ah! To the test. Now that she's dead, he's frightened to live without her. But bringing her back is terrifying. <gasps> oh, God, Kurt, that was incredible. Let's do it again. Contain it, damn it! Seal it off now! Is that what I'm gonna become? These poor dead bastards crave brains. She bit me. She gave you something bad. It feels the hunger. Never find you down here. What have you done? If she attacks him, he becomes like her. I just get a little confused sometimes. No! Love never dies. Uh, Return of the Living Dead 2 is not good. <laughs> yeah, I heard I've that. only seen it once. Uh, it feels like one of those films that perhaps people are going to try and reclaim because everyone will try and reclaim everything as if it's. it feels like the more we reappraise older films and we ourselves on this podcast do the same thing, the more we reappraise old films, the more you realize there's only so much ground to go over. So I think people have now started clinging on to some genuinely terrible films, just mad, just putting themselves through this madness. And Return of the Living Dead 2 is not really worth reappraisal. It's, um, it, it brings back two of the same characters. It's real diminished, uh, law of diminishing effects. It has a kind of, um, a fly to, persuasion mm-hmm. in that it ups the gore and the craziness but uh, ups the the practical effects but return of the living dead had plenty of very good effects in it so i don't feel like it needed to be trumped in this way and there was a there's a bit of a gap between the two um between part two and this film part three which does if nothing else completely changes the tone of the series um did you ever watch return part three I haven't seen this one. Uh, the only one I've seen in the series is the original that you spoke about on the previous okay. pod. Um, well, in which case, I think you would find this a bit of a um, 
yeah, a real, a real, real shift in tone. So we are in the same timeline. Mm -hmm. uh, the plot still centers around the uh, two, four, five trioxin gas release. <laughs> um, there's very little inline reference to anything that happens in the second one, and there's there's not really much in the way of um, direct referencing to the the events of the first film, other than that it's you know. Uh, the military have taken back control of the 245 trioxin gas and in a very honestly shoddy looking research facility uh, they are performing experiments on uh, dead soldiers looking to bring them back um, and uh, testing out methods by which to reanimate but then control zombies it's a it's we're going back to the bioweapon uh, uh, schema from stuff like shockwaves mm -hmm. um uh, unbeknownst to the military researchers, the son of one of the, I assume he is uh, military. Mm -hmm. uh, he is military of some, of some degree. I do not know what he is. Uh, some officer who's running the facility uh, is a rebellious late teens, early twenties, difficult to place him uh, son called Kurt because it was 1993. So of course of he was course. called Kurt. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of a kind of grungy um, aesthetic to this one, kind of up updating the, the the punk aesthetic. But I think one thing that it doesn't particularly do very well is nail that. It seems more metal from the poster, does it not? Uh... It does. And oddly, some of the music was so bad that I was worried that maybe they'd lost the rights due to some kind of, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, issues over the years. And they'd had to replace it with stock music because it is it does not have as as fun a soundtrack as the original and it's um mm. but uh kurt and his uh punky rebellious even more rebellious girlfriend uh julie uh who is played by uh the oc alum uh mindy clark yeah that was my clark. only in to this because i love the oc and uh right yeah she was she played uh, uh an attractive mother on the show Yes, yes, she did, uh, uh, and she is. She's actually fantastic in this film. She's kind of the, she's the real thing that holds it together. Um, uh, they break into the facility. They see these experiments being done. Uh, they uh, slip off back to Kurt's place to have some uh, terribly soundtracked sex, <laughs> and um, the son decides that he's out here. He doesn't want his his dad controlling his life anymore. So <laughs> they set off on his motorbike. They get in a, a terrible motorbike accident. Um, Julie is uh, uh, catapulted from the back of the motorbike into a pole and breaks her neck. Okay. Um, having witnessed a reanimation with a trioxin gas, Kurt knows that he makes a terrible pet cemetery esque decision to take her to the facility, expose her to the gas, reanimate her. And, uh, they they escape into the Los Angeles underground. I see. Unfortunately, of course, uh, Julie is undergoing one of the one of the best of the arbitrary timed um, transformations because mm. it takes place over the course of the entire film. Okay. It's the kind of it's it's more of a doomed romance. So it's not slipping into a coma and immediately um, rising from it. It's a slow process. It is, yeah. So she's brought back and she recognizes him, but she. Uh, uh, She's initially kind of uh, um, very "what have you done to me" kind of thing, and uh, uh, Kurt's. It's a it's a great central premise. Um, it's not carried off completely with a plum in mm -hmm. the way that you might hope. 
this is a definite, this is a recommendation with caveats. This is, um, this is an interesting film with some great moments to it rather than a great film. Um, uh, Kurt and Julie's relationship is not always especially believable. Um, Mindy Clark is doing, uh, some very good work, but, uh, her opposite number, who's made such an impression that I literally do not know what his name is. Well, that's okay. If you don't know, um, you don't know. He should have done J J Trevor Edmund. Oh, J Trevor. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I don't know. J J Trev uh, is uh, he's doing adequate work, but he's not elevating the thing. We've discussed when we talked about Reanimator that um, Brian Usner is a very interesting guy with a lot of ideas and uh, um, like a real like go for it sensibility, like a real mm. kind of um, uh, daring do spirit, and he's willing to throw things at the wall, and he's 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 willing to try interesting ideas. It's just that he doesn't always have perhaps the, the eye of a great director. So there's some of his framing doesn't quite yeah. um, uh, capture the, 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 the madness, the way it should. Mm-hmm. Um, he has pacing issues, perhaps that there's some real drags in the second act in this one, where Julie is slowly transforming into a, into a zombie and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Kurt keeps abandoning her and then refinding her. And uh, the whole thing is building up to the, the, the kind of the, the very famous iconic poster image of Julie mm. realizing that the only thing that is sating her brain lust is to, uh, is to hurt herself, which is very strange and very, ah. again, early nineties, grungy kind of. Yeah, it is. S&M. You've got Kurt, you've got self-harm. Yeah. With, uh... There's a, there's a real kind of S and M slash self-harm slash, and it's all, it's not played tremendously flippantly which is kind of interesting How however it's not it also in terms of like it's similar the laugh count is it, laugh count is very low mm. very very low um it's uh it's it's playing it a lot straighter and a lot more uh kind of uh, an emotional register um kurt and julie get caught up in a uh, liquor store robbery uh julie bites one of the assailants of and they become our secondary gang of villains and they chase them into the the sewers in the la river uh where they befriended a very uncomfortable um he's a, a a vagrant it's it's not so much that he's a vagrant it's that he's also an african-american sage he knows things he's got the second sight so um, we're, we're playing into a couple of uncomfortable stereotypes he's called the river man and he takes them in and it all builds up to this moment where Julie, she's been piercing herself with metal and nails and glass. And she eventually transforms herself into this incredible looking like human living weapon. The uh, piercings and the kind of studs, mm. th- this happens gradually over time. It does. Yeah. The, the majority of it towards the end of the film as uh, as our our bad gang tracked out our, our leads in the sewer and uh, uh she emerges and she looks incredible and it's such a fantastic and again she's selling it like she's it's it's purely iconic the problem is that it is something of a deflation when you realize that all oh, these props are probably really fragile and <laughs> they mm. don't have a tremendous yeah. amount of money and there's not much she can do and you're in limited space limited cast you've had uh, emotional attachment to your lead characters but no real emotional attachment to your secondary characters so the fight okay. itself kind of kind of fades out and um it's a it's a it's a real case of like it's it's an almost it's a short film but it does have pacing issues so in the middle it does feel a little longer um but there's a concept over ex- 
execution you think concept um, over execution design some fantastic design but it's not pulled off the way that you would maybe hope that such tremendous design work would have would have paid off um but mm. you can tell that um Usner really does want to put some genuine kind of feeling into it which is great for something which is so uh so transparently lowbrow i love that he's mm. still he's not sneering at it at all you can tell that he's giving it his all um it's that um it's there's a great ending uh some really disgustingly meaty shotgun blasts and uh, uh and a real okay. kind of all hell breaks loose you know some fantastic zombie designs as you would expect um practical it's effects in the end, right? practical effects are, uh, are pretty great as i say with the caveat that the big julie zombie glass and metals fight does kind of flail as a bit of a damp squib but um uh, yeah great ending uh the the, the very ending kind of cribs from a moment in return of the living dead um it, it pulls it off it's um mm. it's definitely one that in the lineage and especially considering that there was quite slim pickings in the 1990s um this is definitely worth your time i would i would recommend it this is pre-resurgence uh i, I think we we're going to get into the video game aspects later on where this kind of this turning point happens so this is uh, prior to that it is yeah so we've, we're definitely um we're kind of playing around in the it's it's a real tail end i think that they're trying to kind of keep these things going but it's telling that this is the mm. third in a series and it's feeling a little tired and while they've done their best it's, to but it's also not quite rave to the grave is it no well I, that will i think be mentioned uh, later on because that had a, a <laughs> very interesting timing the release of four and five um Mm. so yeah that 1993's return of the living dead 3 is worth your time you may get more out of it than than i did like i said i I do like it and would watch it again but i think um caveats that there's there's going to be moments where you're going to drift in and out but uh its highlights are quite high uh and it's 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 worth your time and it makes for an interesting double bill with the my next pick which is on the wednesday of the same week uh the following year we're going back to Italy for uh, Michele Suavi's uh, Delamort Delamore, a.k.a. Cemetery Man. I'm the watchman of the Buffalora Cemetery. My name's Francesco Delamorti. I don't know how the epidemic started. All I know is that some people, on the seventh night after their death, come back to life. With your consent, I'd like to marry Nagy. Not as long, dear, as I've got a breath in my body. We'll fix that right away. Stop killing the dead. If you don't want the dead coming back to life, why don't you just kill the living? Are you listening to me? Do you believe me? that's cool i've still never seen it in spite of uh cribbing the uh the name for for my my code name today but uh yeah i'm fascinated by this one um it but both of these these two picks actually i'm definitely going to watch on the day the day of i'm going to play along with our uh may of the dead and certainly watch these two that's um I would say out of all of them for certainly for this second half um this is definitely my uh 
this is my big recommendation. I I came around to this film not too long ago. It was on my my to do list for so long as well. Um, but first and foremost, it stands out by dint of just being incredibly beautiful to look at. It's um, visually, it's 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 pretty glorious. And Michele Suave is a uh, is an interesting guy. He's an actor. He'd been a an assistant director. He'd worked alongside Dario Argento on Tenebre. Uh, oddly, he was a um, Terry Gilliam's assistant director on The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh wow! Any excuse to shoe on that one in? But uh, yeah, one of your favorites. I, I do think it's actually relevant, just because I think he was probably paying attention quite a lot, especially paying attention to how far you can take something with incredible sets uh, that are simultaneously completely um, fairy tale. I guess they're they're, mm-hmm. they're intentionally theatrical, but they're mm-hmm. created with such a level of detail and craft and depth that they can you lose yourself in them completely. It's a world taking place outside of any recognizable reality. Um, it's uh, it's a storybook, but a very very grim. It's based on a comic book um, from the the same creator as the uh, the Dylan Dog uh, comic book series, mm-hmm. and. It's got this very lush gothic look to it. Um, in terms of the presentation of the zombies, it's really classic. Well, like Hammer, like a Plague of the Zombies style. Uh, I guess more classic in the um, the Romero, the Romero, the Romero sense. Okay. It's um, uh, you die, you're buried, you come back. Uh, you come back as a zombie. The zombie is completely right. uh, brainless, uh, wants to eat human flesh. And can we take a few uh, grave emergence squares? There's some fantastic, some fantastic grave emergences, um, uh, multiple grave emergences. Um, this specific cemetery, which uh, uh, has the word resurrection, I think it's it's either named the resurrection cemetery or it has that written across the top on the iron gates in in uh, in Latin. Yeah, uh, he calls them the returners, and the mm-hmm. cemetery is guarded by the titular cemetery man whose name is uh delamotte and he is played by rupert everett um no way it, is that rupert everett it's uh another of the italian productions whereby um the the cast are speaking english rupert everett of course but as usual there is not really the use of onset sound everything is um no dubbed after the fact even though the the majority of the characters would be speaking the language that their characters are speaking so it gives Mm -hmm. us it it really does on this one especially when it's something so kind of um ethereal and strange and 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 kind of twisted it gives the whole another uh, another level of kind of surreality to the proceedings um Mm. as he tells us in his very droll um voiceover um he has a a very large six shooter and what he calls his dum-dum bullets and uh, he puts one in the head. That's uh, he, he knows how to dispatch them. By the time we join the film, mm-hmm. he's already been doing it for some indeterminate amount of time. He tries to report okay. this to the authorities, but realizes that it's going to be worth more paperwork than uh, than he can be bothered to do. So <laughs> he tends to just deal with them himself. He has a, a largely mute, uh, very large assistant who lives in the basement and watches TV all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he is illiterate. Uh, he can only read the phone book. He reads the phone book and crosses out the names of everyone that dies in the town. Um, so it's a very strange setup. And then immediately uh, he meets an extremely beautiful young widow 
um, and they have a very strange, very charged kind of uh, uh, first encounter together in a, a flooded um, chamber underneath the church with gothic and skeletons, and she's obsessed with death, and he finds mm. this all very, very fascinating. There's also a, a great deal of talk of impotence and penis removal in this film. There's uh, really? um, It doesn't skimp on the on the sex and death imagery. Um, oh. The the two of them are uh, obviously unbelievably attractive actors, which is uh, which is kind of unusual for the genre for uh, these films to kind of focus so much on on two very beautiful people. Uh, they they have uh, this incredibly well shot um, sex scene on her dead husband's grave, <laughs> which is okay. interrupted by his return. Um, everything seems like it means something, <laughs> but you're not quite sure what. And I sort of prefer yeah. it that way. Um, yeah. There's uh, uh, following on from this, of course, she is he is racked with guilt, um, which escalates into. By the time you hit around the 50, 55 minute mark, the film really spins off into some very, very, very deeply surreal territory. Doppelgangers mm-hmm. abound, and murder, and uh, necrophilia, and a man having a carrying on a love affair with the disembodied head of a dead teenage girl. Um, uh, there's one of the great gravery emergences, which I will spoil here, is uh, a, a local ruffian, the um, the boyfriend of uh, the, the mayor's daughter, gets in a horrible bike accident, is buried with his beloved bike. And so he reemerges from the grave, basically fused to his motorbike, <laughs> uh, roaring out of the grave at a tremendous 45 degree angle in front of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Like E.T., but the, uh, the the twisted yep zombie version, and he has a uh, like a speedometer embedded into his head. <laughs> it's um, oh, this sounds great. I'm sold now. It's it's um it's a, it's an incredibly strange. It's a it's a pure kind of cult item. I think it's uh, it's a real shame. Michaela Suave's kind of career was sort of cut short by uh, some personal tragedies, I think, and um, never really got to take up the momentum that he maybe should have because it's it's clearly the product of an extremely active imagination and a guy who can um we talk quite a lot whenever we talk about italian cinema especially italian horror cinema maybe it's probably specifically italian horror cinema the um the the disregard for what you would consider to be conventional a to b to c narrative plotting uh it's not Mm. that they can't do it it's just they feel that it's unnecessary and uh I think for once, this is a case where I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't want to know any more about what's going on than the film wants to tell me. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a fantastic, and it's, it's again, it's, a, it's a little curiosity. It's, um, it is quite funny. It does have moments of that very Evil Dead, very creative, lots of zooming around camera work. There's, there's a, mm-hmm. it's mainly an Evil Dead two influence, um, but surrounding it is this very gothic romantic tragic beauty to it and it's um yeah this is uh this is a definite 100 percent full-blown recommend yeah that sounds terrific i'm in um which means that we reach a bit it's you again it is we reach yeah. a bit of a <laughs> we reach a bit of a gap six ah, years six year gap here um and as we've been saying we've had to kind of scrounge around to get ideas for the first part of this or second half of the thing we've had, uh, Mm. like it's a brain dead, dead alive, which is the work of a, a strange, um, lone wolf 
or lone sheep <laughs> New Zealander um, mm. uh, generating the filthiest film you could think of. And then we've got uh, an admirable third attempt in a franchise to try and keep the legs on it by changing for something else that kind of, it, yeah. it, it's it's partially successful, but probably didn't do tremendously well, didn't set the world on fire. Uh, and again, a real cult curiosity in a um, very much an art house horror vein. There's been a lack of what you would call straightforward zombie narrative feature films. And uh, the uh, PBS Monstrum series, which uh, which I used as my as my real kind of uh, keystone in getting into this project, yeah, uh, mentioned that the 1990s was more dominated by video games. Now I am uh, in this respect, just I I just sound like my dad. I do not know. <laughs> it is an entire industry medium that for whatever reason just passed me by completely. So uh outside of the odd mm-hmm. playing of House of the Dev uh House of the Dead in in Hollywood Bowl in, in Hollywood Bowls. Yeah. yeah. Uh, outside of that I don't really know much about this, but um they did say that the influence mm-hmm. of Resident Evil could not be understated. I don't know if you have any more kind of experience. I with probably it. have more than you by the sound of it, but I'm by no means an expert. But when nineteen ninety six came around, it was all about uh, Resident Evil, the first one on the PlayStation 1 at the time. And uh, a lot of my friends at school had it. We would all play it. Um, it was a just a, a terrific game, really. Really gory. Uh, mysteries to solve. Um, giant spiders, uh, which most of these things are missing from the, um, the Paul W.S. Anderson movie that eventually came out of it. But the, I remember one of the first things I ever tried to write, um, was uh, the first script actually was loosely based on something between the X Files and Resident Evil. It's kind of FBI agents investigating something in a zombies in a mansion, which is basically the 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 first Resident Evil game, and the they had uh, zombie Rottweilers with the skin kind of hanging off that was very terrifying. And when you en- encounter these things in the game, it's, uh, it's, it's really kind of intimidating and, and very bloodthirsty when you, when you're attacked and, and bitten and one of the zombies goes to the ground, you could hit X until you stamp on its head <laughs> and, and completely destroy it. I'd never seen anything like that or played a game like that. So that one led into um, Resident Evil two and, I'm still very proud to say that I finished both of those games because I don't usually finish video games. I don't usually get anywhere near the end, but um, those two and I think Resident Evil 4, which I started playing maybe on the PS3, I also finished that one. But I, I really get into them and my sister bought me a couple, the Biohazard and uh, the, the kind of redo of uh, Resident Evil 2 that they did recently for the PS4. And they're, they're terrific games. And uh, so I think that that's about 1996 when all that comes in. So we're discussing that at the right time. Um, and we mentioned House of the Dead too, which I think me- lots of people have played on the arcade. Yep. Um, that that was just a, a shoot 'em up. It was it was that uh, and, that and Time Crisis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the same game except so, one of them the uh, the Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty much. So yeah, none of the Resident Evil movies made it in to our list. Because 
you know, I know not every film that we've that we've chosen is a is a masterpiece by any means, but I just didn't feel like there was much much place for any of those. I I films. I've seen the first one and I really just just didn't enjoy it. That's um, they're tremendously successful. I just didn't particularly feel like I wanted to put myself through that again. I didn't think I was going to be able to f- like dig something out that I missed yeah, the that... first time. Some great subtext. It also doesn't feel much like a zombie movie to me. It's like I think of Mia Jovovich in a corridor with lasers cutting people up. That is the only thing I remember. The the laser grid, yeah. That's that's pretty much it. But um, and I, I haven't rewatched it since it came out, and I didn't get into the sequels either. So yeah, we've kind of bypassed them. Hmm. So yeah, that that became uh, an influence to a certain degree. Uh, I don't know much about your next pick from the year 2000. Uh, would you say that ties in at all to, to video games? Yeah, my next pick for your Thursday night viewing pleasure is Ryuhei Kitamura's 2000 zombie-ish movie Versus. の先に世界を見せる。俺はな。人に差し出されるのが嫌いなんだよ。筋はいいんだけどな、お前。it's a Japanese independent production, very independent production. This is, which is something that ties into a lot of the kind of films that we've discussed previous to this. Um, lots of kind of lone, lone weirdos with their vision. Oh, there was a crazy one that I wanted to pick called Wild Zero. Okay. About a, a Japanese rock band that encounter zombies. Um, that was from 1999, the year before your pick so this one will have to do for both of us uh, I, I took a quick look at it and it looked extremely cheap right um so um and i was already tr- trying to kind of narrow my list down so it didn't quite make the cut but wild zero is an interesting one but um yeah you you go ahead with uh with the verse well it's, it's interesting that that's the, the same sort of time period so it's very possible that um while in the kind of european countries and um and in the states the zombie the great zombie wave of movies was kind of petering out possibly just due to repetition. I think even the films that were coming out that were getting good reputation were maybe just getting lost in the shuffle or we've seen this before. You, you get so many high watermarks in such a short space of time that if you take Reanimator, Return of the Living Dead and Evil Dead 2, for example, as a threesome, which happened within the space of less than two years, mm. if you are going to try and make a violent, funny, crass uh uh zombie dark comedy horror you are up against some of the the all-time greats that invented it perfected it and there's not much else you can do to top them so you have to play around in the margins and maybe people just got a bit sick of it whereas uh it would appear that japan got zombie fever um emily zaka's series said that this was potentially tied into the sarin gas attack that this was playing on kind of fears of the era whether that's 
maybe a little bit glib social kind of commentary. I don't know. Um, it's very possible. It is a trend that that runs throughout a lot of this. And there's also another one I should mention from our, our wider shortlist called Bio Zombie from 1998, which again, probably ties into similar yeah. things. I'm not sure when, when that event happened. Was that, uh, that would have been the, the mid nineties, I believe. I, yeah. Maybe around. Well, that would make sense. Um, but for, I guess it was fortuitous timing or it was just, it was uh, a, a trend that was cresting there. So um, uh, Ryuhei, uh, Ryuhei Kitamura uh, created this as a, I believe it was his second film, but his first feature, he made a short film. And this was intended to be a short, but um, he uh, he's a Japanese filmmaker who had, I believe, moved at the age of 17, dropped himself out of high school and moved to Australia to, to study um came back and decided that this was his shot and he thought it was his one shot to make a film so where he was originally going to make it what they call v cinema which is there's a lot of great Mm. underground japanese cinema of the era that is kind of marred by particularly badly aged video cinematography i mean if it's a Mm. if it's an aesthetic you like then that's ace it doesn't really often work for me it just feels um just it just doesn't feel particularly uh, visually interesting um, unless yeah. it's in the hands. The, 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 the video aesthetic was one of the turnoffs for uh, Wild Zero, um, right. I think, too. I, I can't speak for Bio Zombie, but I, I imagine it's it's something similar. I think there's a lot of, of, of V-Cinema. Your mileage varies, and, and some of this stuff, it's, it's, a, it's a big sweep to say that none of it's going to be worth watching because it's ugly and it's on video. It's very film snobby, mm. but... It would appear that Kitamura agreed because he went and put the extra funds in to shoot this one on 35 mil. Uh, and mm. you can tell it, it has a kind of a more lush aesthetic. Um, it is also the single most year 2000 thing I have ever seen. It's extraordinary. <laughs> um, trying to... Is this the same year as uh, Battle Royale then? That uh, be... It would, yes. Same time. Yeah, same, same time. And um, now crucial to this would be the the year of release of the matrix now i believe that was 1999 yes okay my hope then is that the times match up and that this came out just after because i know mm. um to be fair the the matrix was riffing off a lot of asian cinema anyway aesthetically um japanese hong kong mainly japanese and mm-hmm. hong kong action movies i would have thought yeah um and the aesthetic here is it's the, uh, I guess I should try and explain the plot. We start out in feudal Japan in the woods. Get used to these woods because it's your only location for the next two hours, mm-hmm. uh, which is usually a massive turnoff for me. Um, there are so many of like low budget movies where it's like, okay, this we shot here because it's cheap and no, you don't have to ask anyone. So <laughs> fill your boots, yeah. run around the trees for a bit. You don't have to match any shots. It's fine. A tree looks like a tree. Um, yeah. But we started in feudal Japan with a um, uh, a man with a katana slashing up a bunch of zombies in an extremely stylized sequence. Uh, oh, right from the get go, right, there's no no explanation. No, you're in a forest. He's uh, he's being beset. The the zombies are in this one. They are able to wield weapons. They are mm-hmm. holding swords, uh, kind of threatening him with them. Although he dispatches them in pretty short order. Then we meet a mysterious kind of priestish looking fella with a with a hood and a cloak and there's a woman and there's a unexplained story that you know you're not getting the whole of and you're going to get it as the as the story develops it's a real cold open kind of hits Mm. you with it um the uh the 
the the swordsmith, the initial swordsmith, he's he's killed. And flash forward to the modern day, uh, we have two escaped prisoners running around the the woods. They meet a bunch of very eccentric gangsters. There's a lot of very small sunglasses, leather trench coats, whip yeah. pans with the whooshing sound. Um, <laughs> some really impressive fight sequences, given how low the budget in this thing is throughout. It's um, if there's one thing that that they managed to pull off, it's it's a, a bigger seeming film than it is. The, the the joins don't really show. It's it's well choreographed. Um, there's a lot of a lot of fight sequences, and oddly, not that much zombie. I thought there was more when I when I chose it, um, but I guess the memory plays tricks on you at times. It's um, yeah, it's a a total mashup of a kind of a gangster thriller, but without any of the kind of intrigue of you know, uh, the you know gang loyalties and stuff. It's it's very stock characters being played. Your lead character mm-hmm. has no name; he's only known by his prisoner number. Um, he's very quietly spoken, but he's a man of action when he's called in to, to fuck some people up. Um, there's a lot of balletic gunplay. Um, people are killed and then immediately return as zombies. The zombies are not killed by headshots. They're just sort of, they just sort of eventually give up. <laughs> you can shoot them, oh. you can shoot them anywhere between one and 64 times and it will kill them, but there are no specific rules as to which one it actually oh, should I be. See. Um, that's interesting there's a lot of like twists and turns and 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 um the plot doesn't really factor into it a great deal um no. but what eventually happens is that you end up with this bizarre kind of highlander riff uh, this kind of you know mm. we've been playing this game for centuries there can be only one kind of uh destiny and we're in a uh the f- and again the matrix too i guess yeah yeah we're in the 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 forest of revival that's why all these people keep coming the forest of resurrections right? this is why all these people keep coming back from the dead and uh, there's lots of heart ripping and um some really disgusting again evil dead two-ish although probably even more graphic lots of um mm. camera zooming through bullet holes and camera zooming through headshots <laughs> and uh it's how does that look has, it, has that aged particularly it's well, aged fantastically it's it looks great there's 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 one in um Shaun of the Dead that we'll talk about later uh where uh Bloody Mary falls yes. back onto the uh and gets impaled and there's a there's an effect shot there that still kind of irks me a little okay. bit it's like I'm sure it looked great when it first came out yeah. but things like that when you're like viewing mm. th- through uh uh and that there's cl- there's clearly a green screen uh, I see on on this one they've um, uh, they've gone uh, old school, which is to just build. They built a disgusting, fl- yep, yeah, a disgusting fleshy rig and shoved a camera behind it. Um, well, check the puppet box on your bingo. Yeah, everybody. there's a lot of force perspective, and it's it's um, the whole thing is entirely done practically as well. Uh, I don't remember seeing a, a, no digital blood splashes. Um, right. When people are getting jerked around, you can still see the the cables attached to them at times. Everything's so quick that oh, you know. Cool. Um, but I like well, that. I like that. That's very appealing to me. I, I like that too. It's it's a long film and very confusing, but it's yeah. just, it's like a lot of the films of its ilk, you're expected to just go with it because it's just a mm-hmm. constant mm-hmm. flurry of, of activity, of um, self-conscious posturing and like sick techno-punk riffs and um, just something is always happening and, and it re- keeps refreshing itself and resetting itself and um, uh, lots of slightly over-the-top gibbering performances but 
Uh, it doesn't outstay its welcome even at two hours. Um, it, as a, it's a real anomaly. It's a mm. it's a, 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 a fantasy action martial arts gunplay balletic zombie film that forgets it's a zombie film for quite a long time. Right, uh, but certainly deserves a place, and uh, um, definitely if you haven't seen this one yet, it's it's worth a it's worth an, a, a discover. It's um, there's nothing quite like it, which is always nice to see. Okay, moving on from verses from the year two thousand, uh, the next one is my pick from two thousand and four. It is a remake of something we've already had on the list, and this time it's Zack Snyder's. Dawn of the Dead. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Look up the road, there's a lot more though. Why are they coming here? Maybe they're coming for us. There's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to treat and who to blame. Everybody will be treated all the same. There will be a golden light reaching down. If New Metal was a zombie movie, it would probably be along the lines of of this. Um, I felt like this one um, didn't hold back at all. It was all guns blazing. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of Zack Snyder, um, but this this is his directorial debut. Um, and it, it it is an inferior remake of of arguably the greatest zombie film ever. I know we talked up um, Day of the Dead last time, uh, but Dawn is uh, pretty synonymous with with the genre. Um, but this isn't a film that that should really be rejected purely because it's it's inferior of of that. Really, you've got um, a decent cast. You've got Ving Rhames who was flying high after uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, you have uh, Meki Pfeiffer, I think it's pronounced. He was on ER, uh, did some other stuff. Uh, Sarah Polly, who I knew from Go. And I think she's gone on to direct some stuff. She has. She's a fantastic director, actually. Her, her first film, um, Away From Her, is one of my favorites. Right. Um, you've got uh, Dawn 78 OG, Ken Foray. Or Ken Foree, uh, he pops up as a televangelist preacher, and our other favourite Tom Savini has a cop cameo. Uh, so it's always nice to see Tom. Something Snyder does really well uh, is something we saw together. Actually, we went to see Watchmen. Do you remember seeing Watchmen? We together? did. I was I was going to bring this up as my um, that's my my Zack Snyder kind of take, which is I remember seeing it and really liking that with you. And then I and then I think we went again, and that was an error, because the second time out, I remember thinking that um, I I 
applauded him for a lot of individual fantastic sequences while the second time out just the the, the overall plot kind of uh, uh lost me the second time i was yeah well that was actually that's actually to my point because i wanted to mention his brilliant uh opening title sequence in watchmen uh which is the bob dylan uh the times they are a changing sequence which sets up a really difficult kind of tale and uh, it sets it up very quickly and visually and interestingly and he does something similar here with the man comes around by johnny cash uh as uh what i've called an apocalyptic icebreaker which kind of sets up the uh the mission statement of of the movie uh the johnny cash stuff was pretty big at the time the rick rubin um yeah uh, stuff so yeah that that sounds terrific it's a really great opening sequence again but um as far as all you know ticking our bingo boxes all the subgenres key elements come together here and it's it's very over the top very showy overproduced but at the same time like it it meshes quite well with the, the material and the performances everything kind of works well together for that for that era like i said it's a it's almost a new metal style it's it's over the top garish you're mad at your dad there's not much tact at all as you'd expect um and uh the, the nudity is kind of crowbarred in uh there's uh, an execution of a zombie baby that's completely tasteless and now um, there's a very cringy sequence uh, set to uh, Down With The Sickness. I can't remember the band that did it. Oh. <laughs> yes, of, of course I do. It was Disturbed. Your man with his, uh, with his chin piercings. Right, that guy. So, uh, you know, which again is, is rad when you're a teenager and, and you're like Papa Roach and again, you're angry at your father. But when, when you watch it now, it... it it played kind of cringy mm-hmm. to be honest but uh, you know looking back i thought that sequence was kind of cool but um may- perhaps it's my age it's like we like i always say on the the rewind cast it's like we change the movies don't yeah. change so you know it may perhaps it can't be blamed for being of its time uh it's garishly color corrected to hell and uh but it but it has all of these beats that a zombie film needs and when i was compiling it this was one of the first ones i stuck in there the remake of night by tom savini and this remake of of dawn um it the things that it does it does very well that there's jump scares and there is some satirical stuff it's not very subtle um and the comedy certainly isn't subtle no it's intense uh it's got like a, a decent balance of practical and digital effects it was coming in a, a time when that would be a concern but it actually does a lot of cool stuff uh that that didn't the cg didn't really take me out of it too much um i think it, it because it employs the zombie purists sworn enemy running zombies right um it's it's going to irk some people but aside from that it sticks to the romero law and uh as far as the modern zombie movies go from that from that era it's actually pretty decent have you seen this one i have it was a it was a, a while ago i think i've seen it more than once but probably not since kind of the latter part of the 2000s um and 
I I remember kind of liking it. And then I think as Zack Snyder's kind of prominence grew and, and a lot of his stuff became quite questionable in certain ways. Um, and then it became extremely, extremely popular to shit on him. Um, which I, in, in all honesty, I can't blame people. I would say that certainly Batman versus Superman was one of the worst films not that was ever made, but certainly one of certainly one of my least favorite viewing experiences of a film. I found it, but one thing that yeah. he is is um, a fully realized version of exactly what he is. There is a coherence to the way he puts his films together. Uh, setting aside, obviously, the massive editing problems that he, ha- that he has with the fact that his plots are post Dawn of the Dead have have uh, kind of got away from him and. I despair of being told to uh, uh, indulge a director's cut of a film which I already found unpleasant in order to unlock the mysteries of it. Um, yeah. But this kind of, as, as, a, as a calling card, it kind of sets up everything that he is, which is a um, tremendous stylist to a, to a fault, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, willing to uh, indulge an awful lot of kind of questionable taste um a lot of bone crunching violence which Mm. um i think this sets up why the majority of the later films that we're talking about i didn't really click with as much just because i felt something was was lost like you say like people getting smashed up to down with the sickness just doesn't have the same um effect as the as the kind of the potentially less impactful stuff that was happening in the 80s there's there's less of that Mm. kind of you know it's all just a lark right you know we can yeah we can have a laugh with this film and it's going to get a bit gross and you'll getting you'll get involved in it but at the end of the day you don't worry about it whereas i feel like there's a there's a little hint in here somewhere where it's like it's there was a, a, a 2000s horror cinema had a kind of a an escalation in nastiness that never really struck a chord with me as yeah. possibly also because it was also pin sharp suddenly there's something kind of hazy and 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 grainy and fantastic about all the films and without that filter without that without that extra something things were coming at you in a super hyper real sense and i maybe felt it was just a bit in my face he was he again that, that could be reflective i mean you've got it's post 9 yep. 11 uh, like everything everything versus is post 9 11 so um yeah you, you've got and and you have your reality tv and you have all of this the kind of self-referential yeah. stuff and everything became quite cynical mm. um but but the i think one thing that it has going for it is he hasn't quite graduated into that sucker punch right 300 yes. uh, cgi laden stuff where it just went to a ridiculous degree he's still got one foot on the ground here and uh I know it's it's like Fincher, isn't it? It's like this wasn't probably wasn't the way he wanted to start his directing career, but um, Alien Three turned out okay. Yeah. I mean, for all of its faults, and and so did this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it stands very much as a record of its time, and I think when we talked about the influence of the um, the the way the gaming influence came in, the mm. there's a, a shift in in perspective and a shift in character perspective whereby. Um, instead of being uh, a survivor huddled in a mall, making the best of it and making a little family unit and stuff, um, once you go through a first-person shooter, 
you see the world through a through a target site and your relationship to everything that's happening around you changes so and they they, yeah. they they literally do have in this film quite a lot of sequences right of people taking pot shots at zombies from the rooftops and stuff and they do snipers and yeah yeah exactly um and I, this is probably a similar time to when they did that doom game uh the, the film adaptation of the game oh with the with the rock yeah which had a flat out first person perspective uh uh sequence yeah. and, and also we should mention the year before was the uh Uwe Boll um House of the Dead right. movie. Yeah. Uh which uh that's two thousand and three and that also didn't make the cut for, for obvious yeah. reasons if you've but seen possibly it. a little bit of a proof of concept, which is like this is, you know, this could work. It could work to take you out of the these are no longer maybe so much survival films as they once were. They, your relationship to the zombie. shoot them up exactly <laughs> you know yeah yeah um and it's i think it, it it influenced a lot of kind of lesser films that came afterwards we said that return of the living dead would would reappear i don't think without the tremendous success of dawn of the dead i don't think you get the modern day zombie revival i know that 28 days later was two years before and that was a that was very successful it's possible that that was a domino effect, which meant that this one was greenlit. Um, 28 Days Later was a, was a cult hit. Certainly in, in the States it would have been, but I think it would have been enough to maybe convince some execs to take a gamble on this one. But this one was such a hit that I think probably the last 15 years would look very different if it weren't for this film being made exactly the way it was. What I would also say is that this next film, in the completely opposite direction, but with an equal amount of influence <laughs> has probably influenced the the other branch of the last 15 years of zombie cinema. Well, that's it. We should pat ourselves on the back as, as Brits then, uh, because not only has um, 28 Days Later um, pushed things forward in the early noughties, but uh, my next pick, which I think either of us would have chosen, to be honest, um, is 2004's Shaun of the Dead. ever think that modern life is not for you? Do you do the same dead-end job every day? Is your love life dying on its feet? To a wonderful mom. Or have you ever felt that you're turning into Something in the world. a zombie? Maybe you're not alone. Although no one official is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. It is vital that you stay in your home. Avoid all physical contact with the assailants. So, what's the plan? Bash him in the head, that seems to work out. Why have we got a girl lizard? Because I love her. All right, gay.
we have a mutual friend called Erin, who we should shout out to. Hello. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually went to London and myself and Erin recreated the the walk that Sean does um, from his house to uh, the, the, the corner shop. Uh, where he buys in, initially buys his full fat coke, and then when once he changes his ways, he buys his uh, diet coke later. And there's a very funny comedic slip on the blood. Yep. And uh, yeah, so we we recreated that walk, and um, that was a lot of fun. That's in uh, whereabouts? That's is up that? in Crouch End. If anyone wants to go and recreate that one, I'm sure that shop is still there. Th- this one is just terrific. This is probably the zombie film I've seen the most on on the list. It's just incredibly enjoyable. Um, you've got references to Fulci's restaurant and uh, 4E Electric on on the badges. Um, we should say first of all where it came from. It's Edgar Wright's movie. Um, it's his first foray into uh, feature films. Oh, actually, that's not true, is it? Because he did, there was a fistful um, of fingers first. Yeah, it's kind of his forgotten first feature, right. and most people consider Shaun of the Dead to be his debut, but it's not technically true yeah this one is incredible if you're a fan of space which i know you are um uh, we discussed it on our hala rewind um blog last year and our the accompanying podcast uh we were discussing uh what were we discussing it was the um the the episode art where uh where where tim stays up uh he stayed he stayed up for two days on cheap speed with some nice scottish guys who he's worried that we're going to hurt him and uh sees the world as a as a as a resident evil game right and that's kind of how um that's how that was born um i think his girlfriend went away and said don't play resident evil all weekend and she went away and so of course edgar did and and he kind of imagined if there was a zombie apocalypse how would i defend myself because we don't have guns in england so it was very uh you know this is where the cricket bat comes in right things like that but um it's just a terrific film it's incredibly funny it's loyal to romero um you know there's there's a hilarious moment that i I just always wanted to talk about the uh the climbing up the little toy steps to see see if the coast is clear and the coast is not clear that's one of my favorite moments are there any over there (laughs) yep how many how many (laughs) lots lots <laughs> uh there's lines that are just incredible it's incredibly clever and and layered beautifully uh we're not going to get anywhere by moaning meaning um yeah. when they act as zombies in order to blend in they are actually moaning uh these days a lot of people don't eat meat is one of the funnier lines i <laughs> found last time <laughs> on the on the rewatch um next time i see him he's dead that's yeah. a good one. How are you doing? I'm surviving. Uh, you've got red on you. Uh, can I can I deploy my all time favorite? Go on. Why don't you go live in the shed, you thick fuck? And then he does. And, yeah. And I just I just want to clap when that stuff happens. And th- there's a great video I've put in the playlist where uh, Edgar and Simon are going through their flip chart, which is uh, they call it a flip draft, and they use these these enormous sheets of paper and a big flip chart that you'd see in a boardroom and they just go page by page i I assume before the script is written and they just highlight each 
beat and they have a page dedicated to who Liz is and what she likes and what her character is and then everything that happens at the Winchester in this scene and then they presumably use that to to then go into um the scripting process because you know looking at a blank piece of paper is the worst feeling in the world it's just really intimidating and it's awful when you're trying to write that way but once you've got a, a flip chart like that with all these great little details and it's all fleshed out um that, i think that's a really great way to write and uh, anyone interested in writing should check them out there's another video for for the hot fuzz one that's uh, very similar uh, it's it's a great way of keeping the um keeping the pace up and making sure that the film is being um is 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 unfurling in a purely visual cinematic way right exactly. if you're sitting there writing words on a page and having to sort of project what this may or may not look like but because they knew they had so much control over the project mm -hmm. between the producer the producer was naira park who was their producer all the way back from yeah from tv and it was clear that they were going to be given basically carte blanche to certainly uh, uh put like you say all these really really specific little details mm -hmm. in it and it's funny because they they haven't yet written it. So he's saying, oh, that's the bit where he grabs the hog lumps or whatever. It's like, oh, was that bit in? You'll have to, you'll have to tell me because I don't know. We haven't, we haven't filmed it yet. <laughs> and like Simon Pegg's a little bit podgy in the video. It's like, oh, I'm going to lose weight before we start filming. So it's it's amazing to see that in process and, and also yeah. how much Edgar's kind of matured since then. Um, so yeah, have a look at that video. Um, th this is one I've, I've seen... I saw it at the cinema with my sister initially. We really, really enjoyed it. Um, I remember at the time when it came out, there was some snobbery from my film school friends. Uh, oh, really? Which was quite fair because the, the film hadn't come out yet. And just imagine someone in 2004 saying it's a British zombie comedy. Uh, it just sounded dire, you know, because the people involved, like, I, I don't know how were you interspaced as it aired? Yeah, I was I was into the show on, on on Channel Four when it came out. I think um, uh, I was just lucky enough to to catch it during season one when it first came out, and I I kind of I attached myself to it quite a lot. Probably more so when series two came out because I was uh, yeah. just a little older. Um, uh, but I really liked it. I think I was I remember being excited for it to come out because of Spaced, but I also remember thinking that uh, this is not a time when British TV to cinema adaptations were things that were ever particularly successful. And even though it wasn't an adaptation of Spaced, it's still, these are sitcom guys. And while it was obvious that Edgar Wright always had a, a, a real snappy visual style in the show, it was still a Channel 4 sitcom. So, I mean, the idea of paying money to go see it on a cinema screen is... Yeah, well, it, it kind of lined up quite in quite a cool way. I was really into black books at the time. Um, yeah. So, so the, the Dylan Moran thing is very interesting. And I had the spaced, uh, kind of like the hard... Uh, it was like a... Opened like a book. It was like a... Uh, it, it was prior to the that Star Wars edition that they brought out later. Um, okay, yeah. With, with that big documentary on it. It was the, the first round of DVDs they brought out. So I, I was into spaced. But again, I don't know if I had in the confidence that um that others would have had but yeah there's some people really cynical about it they were not interested at all uh but the idea of anything being british and being good is just very rare it's like um yeah. you know with um uh, 28 days later that that was really i'm going to talk about that a little bit later but um 
that was another surprise really that that something was done so well um and there's a little reference to that in here um Edgar himself has a little voiceover on the TV. He says, rage infected monkeys rumor has been yep. dismissed as bullshit. And then it gets cut, <laughs> cut off and it turns over. So I think that is a gentle dig. I heard him on a podcast saying how frustrating it was that they were prepping this movie. And then they found out that 28 days later was. It was going to pip until the post. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that must've been very frustrating. Um, the cast is incredible. You've got Peter Serafinowicz. You've got Bill Nye. Um, there's an incredible, I keep saying incredible, that there's a, there's a great, that that shows how much I love this one. They, they cross over the, the two groups of survivors cross over and, yeah. and each character has a counterpart coming the, the other way. So, uh, you've got Matt Lucas there and you've got Reese Shearsmith and, uh, it's great to, and, and, uh, um, Martin Freeman. Fran. You've got, uh, Fran, Fran. from Mike Books as well. Yeah. Dwayne Benzie, Peter. It was, yeah. This is this is Dwayne Benzie. Dwayne Benzie. Um, it was great to see these because I, I guess um, it, it's uh, you could either say, especially now, now that obviously we know that it's a, it's it came out as a phenomenal film. Like, mm. I think possibly what surprised me the most and it is just just how packed it is. Yeah. There's a tendency in some of the films we've talked about and a lot of films around the era and zombie comedy films in general, I feel like they're trying to get away with it by just, there's a real lowest common denominator, minimal effort sometimes that comes into this idea of like, though that this will just inherently be funny because it's a horror film, but Mm -hmm. we're trying to have a laugh with it and they, they don't put the work in. I feel like if you want to create a parody of something you have to love it so much that you have to create a version which is just as good as the thing you are parodying there's a reason why there's a difference between somebody like a like a mel brooks mm. or um uh um i'm trying to think of any of the kind of great film parodies uh, uh carl reiner i guess uh, similar with um dead men don't wear plaid like you have to understand what you're doing you have to know it inside and out you have to know it as well as the people who are going to make an authentic version of it and then you have to commit to that as well because as the film goes on it becomes quite serious that last that last act in the pub with the the bars on fire and it's it's not for the characters at least and also for the audience it's not that fun anymore for for a little while and not as a viewing experience but you know it's like you really get get sucked into this this crew of like survivors it's uh you get basically to the point of total despair they they basically give up in the basement of the pub that's it they've they've gone as far as they can they failed it, it's what you're saying about the love that, that's clearly there is is the the thing that makes it stand out a, a lot of uh british comedy horrors that have come out there was a disastrous one with uh, james corden yes uh, that was going to be my my direct um comparison which is that as much as I genuinely love this film, mm. it launched a thousand shits. It, but they all thought that they could do the same thing because they didn't understand that that Edgar and Simon. Uh, I'm I'm not too sure about Nick. I'm sure he's into zombie films, but I think it's it's the the, the two writers primarily that really nail uh, the tone of it. And I'm so happy that Romero got to see it. And uh, there's a great little um video on the uh the next film we're going to talk about uh shall i go into that now because that's kind of a an, an okay segue 
uh, I think it's a, an additional feature on the uh, Land of the Dead DVD. So yeah, the next the next one, Land of the Dead uh, from 2005. The world as we know it. They must be destroyed. Is no more. Cities are under siege. The land of the living has become. Feeding up human flesh. The land of the dead. If these creatures ever develop the power to think, to reason, we're all dead. In one last outpost. It was my ingenuity that took an old world and made it into something new. We have survived. Rivers protect us on two sides. I put up the fences to make it safe. And these fences go all the way across? Both ways. But if the living can adapt... Things are changing. These guys are not just walking. So can the dead. It's like they're pretending to be alive. They're mindless walking corpses. They'll never get across the river. Uh, this is uh, a, a DVD that featured a segment where Simon and Edgar met with George Romero for the first time. And uh, I think they said he was wearing a badge from the from the shop where, where Sean works. 4E Electric. That is fantastic. And he had it on his, um, I'm sure he was wearing it when you met him, The his his classic green uh, vest. Yeah. Um, the, the tactical action vest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was just all smiles. And it's, it's actually filmed the moment where they meet for the first time. And he uh, invited them to be in the movie. Just, I think it was just to say thank you for, because he just appreciated how, how much they loved his work and uh and he loved genuinely loved Shaun of the dead as as a film and didn't see it as poking fun at him or the zombie genre and he he understood how much uh care and attention went into it and admiration that they had for him and he he put them in land of the dead as uh the photo op zombies so if you watch land of the dead uh there's a scene where there's a cage match with uh uh asia argento um, kind of very attractively wearing fishnet tights and, and fighting in a cage. And uh, there's a scene where Simon and Edgar are actually zombies and people are having their photographs taken with them in full zombie garb. And that behind the scenes feature is is fantastic because they go through the whole process of being directed by George and uh, being made up as zombies and, and how fun that must have, that must have been. But um, th- this film um, is, is again part of our uh, this section, the undead rise up of the noughties, two thousand and five. Uh, this one's very post-apocalyptic, um, and it's often smeared by uh, uh, critics. But you know, as one of George's um, black sheep, it, it's a really entertaining, law-breaking sequel. There's a character called Big Daddy who um, advances some of the zombie law. Uh, I, I wouldn't quite say he's self-aware. He's more self-aware than most, but um, he, I, I'm not 
I'm also not sure if it is a, a Steyr Org from uh, Die Hard, but he has a very similar looking weapon um, and ends up becoming kind of king of the zombies and, <laughs> and, and leading everyone um, in, in their attack against the humans. Um, but so this one comes from George himself. So that must count for something. It does with me. I mean, I, I didn't put survival in and I didn't put a uh, diary of the dead in because I went with another found footage um, zombie classic that we can talk about later. But this one did make it in. This was the last of the, of the Romero selections, I think in our, in our list. It is. Yeah. Um, he, uh, again, I think he feels it's, it's unfairly maligned. He certainly feels uh, survival of the dead was too um it's flawed but fun uh you've got an absolute loony dennis hopper performance that's always fun to watch john leguizamo as cholo um greg nicotero and howard berger that we've discussed uh, of, of knb fame uh take the uh the special effects duties on from uh tom savini who's not on this one and they they combine the practical with a a few digital enhancements. Uh, it, it works quite well overall, but unfortunately, digital explosions and CGI blood uh, are you know something that unfortunately rears its head. Um, and again, that's something that that Nicotero took into The Walking Dead and overdid in that show. I never understood why you kill someone with a knife in in the walking dead and when you pull out the knife it's it's the same little cgi blood spurt every time and just it's very hard to get liquid to move naturally with with computers i just i just never quite registers well with me and it always takes me out of it and i just think if you've got kmb there why on earth yeah Uh, why on earth you need a plastic you need a plastic tube yeah and a a little air pump or even just a stagehand blowing down a plastic tube anything like that would be better but i i I kind of understand because it does simplify things but i i really don't think it looks better and I, i think it is easily fixed um the zombies here are even referred to as walkers um which of course popped up in the the comic the subsequent comic book and show for the walking dead um there's lots of creative kills. Uh, the standout was probably a belly button ring chain being yanked out. Uh, there's a very good graphic eye bite and uh, people being ripped to shreds, uh, you know, in, in the Romero tradition. You've got a brass band with tambourines and yeah. trombone zombies, which is pretty funny, made me laugh. Um, th- there is some tedious moments and nothing really blew me away it didn't wow me um but you know uh, there's some overwrought dialogue scenes and it does get quite comedic at times uh but it, the, the plotting's kind of clunky there's some stuff that that plays with the law uh the the zombies uh are preoccupied with fireworks in this one you can distract them uh they can't keep their eyes off the sky flowers as they call them and uh, you can distract them and just walk on by. Um, yeah. So again, it's it's hit and miss. It's again lacking a, a satirical kind of commentary of any kind. Um, I guess Dennis Hopper in his ivory tower, while everyone else 
suffers down below. Could be his Trumpism, I suppose you could read in, yeah, read into that. But uh, the, the best line as well in the whole thing is, is also in the trailer. It's when uh, uh, the Easy Rider fans will be happy. Dennis Hopper says, uh, Zombies, man, they freak me out. <laughs> uh, so that's probably the standout line. That's the one I always remember, anyway. Uh, have you have you seen this one? I have not for a while. I I tried actually to rewatch it for um for this, but obviously we had to pack so many films in that I wanted to make sure that I was at least vaguely familiar with the films that I was going to be recommending. So the the majority of uh, of the picks, especially these later ones, I will be playing along with the viewers at home. I think, but. I'm I'm glad he got another crack at it, and then another two afterwards. I'm glad he was brought back into the fold, and that people realized that this was, you know, this is the progenitor of this specific subgenre, at least this aspect of this subgenre, and the 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 big success that you had. And and we've always said that that the one thing about zombie movies is that they, are, at least on a smaller scale, are relatively easy to put together. You need a, a, a location. You need some makeup effects, some gore effects, and and a decent-sized roster of uh, extras who are willing to get splattered mm-hmm. and uh, and cause some havoc. But he, he did try and go bigger, and that's great. But I think you're right in that perhaps the the window of opportunity was there for him to make a comeback, and he took it, and fair play to him. But maybe he was missing another couple of passes at it to... Mm to really mold that that story into something that was going to be a a little more resonant and and be maybe yeah maybe more um more tonally coherent another thing this one does it kind of furthers the the zombie lore a little bit there's, there's the carrying of weapons but there's also a grunting with big daddy grunting to communicate yes. with the other zombies which was trying to get them out of the way of the um the oncoming uh headshots right he's exactly. trying to warn them that uh, so yeah, that they are kind of aligning their their interests, and uh, that he kind of coaxes them also into the water to cross over a, a body of water. And and any time a zombie is underwater, I'm kind of uh, enthralled. So I I kind of liked again elements of it. It's hit and miss, but uh, it's the master back in the genre. So I I think mm-hmm. it deserves a deserves a place. Yeah, and and good for him for for wanting to take that opportunity to not just replay the hits. Mm. He realized that he'd done, uh, uh, there was a flow through what he'd done. You had the very small scale night around one farmhouse. You had Dawn, which is where shit's kicking off. And mm-hmm. you have to, you have a larger space and a larger cast, but it is largely a survival thing. And then you have Day, which is that, you know, he, he'd already hinted at the idea that zombies were uh, here to stay and were perhaps capable of... Um, of, uh, of regaining some of their humanity or even gaining an, a different that they, you know, was it, uh, you called it the, um, uh, uh, the advocate zombie, advocate. zombie advocate. Yeah. That's one of our bingo squares. There we go. So, you know, he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to become stagnant, which is, which is really admirable. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that the middle two thousands was particularly visually attractive time in cinema. no, and I wonder if they did jump the gun on it a little bit because it's an e- it was probably an easy film for him to get made at the time. It's like there's this resurgence happening. Let's get the master back in the director's chair and see what he can do. So I don't know how prepared he was with this one. I don't know how much was written mm-hmm. and uh, prior to that, but it, it does feel slightly underdeveloped. It's it's like there's a there's a core idea there that could have been uh, executed a little better, perhaps. 
Shall we, uh, shall we roll on to the following year? The following year, yeah, 2006. What have you got for us next? This is the uh, 24th of May. Oh, getting close. Um, so on the 24th of May then, from 2006, uh, we're going to go back to New Zealand for Black Sheep. Miles from civilization. I have a dream for the future. A secret experiment has given birth to a new breed of fear. Bloody animals. Oh, my lord. There's something wrong with the sheep. They attacked us. Oh, nonsense. Black Sheep was when we say that Dawn, uh, the success of Zack Snyder's Dawn, had um, a big rejuvenating effect on a certain type of very, probably quite aggressive, as you said, new metal riff take on the on the zombie genre, um, uh, which inspired a lot of kind of shoot 'em up style, uh, uh, being jostled by quite aggressive zombies, and I think that certainly over the the following few years we're going to see some of the later picks kind of taking that on and maybe doing some interesting stuff with it but i think it's always interesting to point out how for every one decent film that we've got in the zombie subgenre there are probably a hundred to two hundred shoddy knockoffs mm-hmm. doing the same thing far worse and black sheep was a film where um Probably because I was so pleasantly surprised by it and so absolutely taken with Shaun of the Dead. I used to watch Shaun of the Dead basically on like a daily basis. I would watch it. I would watch the commentaries. But yeah, it just feels pleasant to have it on in the background. And yeah, that yeah. I, I would revolve through the commentaries too. Um, and however, what that did was, like I said, launched a lot of very poor zombie comedies. Mm. Um uh, lesbian vampire killers obviously was about vampires but they didn't know what they were doing it could have just so yes. easily have been zombies and there's plenty of them um and black sheep i probably would have written off as too much of a novelty mm. um but i'm glad i watched it and i'm also glad i rewatched it because i think it actually holds up pretty tremendously well oh, good um it's a um the one thing that I that really struck me, especially on rewatch, it's a real movie, Jack. <laughs> it's like a real, it's a real film. Because yeah. I'd thought maybe I'd been hoodwinked, and that maybe it was just this kind of crass, silly, like, oh, let's. What if the zombies were sheep? And mm. um, oftentimes you'll get um, a high concept like that, and you'll have it executed just as quickly and cheaply as possible. It's a real film with beautiful cinematography. It's got a real full orchestral score, which mm-hmm. is actually suited to the visuals that are on the screen. Yeah. Um, the, the narrative is tremendously well paced. Um, it has actual thematic resonance, which reverberates from the title as obvious a, um, a pun, a kind of a pun as mm-hmm. it is. 
it reverberates through the plot in a way that affects the characters within it, which it's a level of, uh, again, it's a level of putting just, just a modicum of thought into it, which bypasses so many lesser filmmakers. And I'm, mm. I'm kind of glad this one is here. And um, it's the spirit of Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um, which comes through in the use of the Wheater workshop and most specifically the Wheater workshop's ability to create incredible, disgusting puppets. Is it Richard, uh, Richard Taylor? I'm sorry. So if it's wetter, it'll be Richard Taylor at the, at the helm again. Uh, how how gory is this one? Uh, it's gory. Yeah, it's gory. And <laughs> what I love is that it it it's gory, but it doesn't just bathe you in it. Now there are films which can get away with it. Again, the aforementioned and multiply mentioned Evil Dead Two gets away with just chucking buckets at you. Yeah. Um, this one is is um is smart in the way it plays. Uh, it's it's story. So it, it concerns two brothers who live on a farm in uh new zealand and they they have this idyllic uh shepherd lifestyle and you have the, the the dad and the golden boy the youngest son and they're rounding up the sheep and it's big kind of vistas and it's beautiful scenery lovely uh pastoral score mm. and then you have the uh the creepy looking older brother looking on jealously from a ridge he disappears back to the the farmhouse dismembers his brother's pet sheep and then dresses in his carcass to freak him out. And it's played harrowingly. Like this is a small child being like terrorized. And that is the exact moment that the, uh, the there's an elderly woman who lives on the farm with them. I'm not sure if she's an aunt or possibly just a housekeeper. Mm. Um, that's when she has to inform them that their dad has died. And so cut to 15 years later, our youngest uh, brother is a traumatized uh, city boy. And I love the the efficiency to set this up. He's uh, we cut to him. They have an actor who looks close enough to the to the young boy actor, uh, cowering in the back of a taxi, surrounded by sheep, uh, having oh. a horrible panic attack. And he is referred to by the taxi driver as, oh, "I guess you don't get many of these uh, city boy." And he's trying <laughs> to say like, "No, I grew up here." And the um, so you've reversed the black sheep. He's now the outsider okay. in the in his own in his own hometown, in his own uh, uh, home. And he goes back to, to the farm and his older brother, Angus has taken over and he's um, turned it into some kind of uh, extraordinarily successful techno farm. Mm. Uh, he buys his brother out for $2 million uh, and uh, um, is off on his way. But uh, I'm detecting a gets... science is, is bad trope here. Yep. Shit gets complex when two eco-warrior stereotypes. Now these are played very broad, although one of the characters does kind of develop as it goes through. And uh, I'm okay with a film that runs only 86 minutes relying on some kind of, on some, some, some stereotypes to get you across the line. A bit of shorthand. Exactly. As a fully paid up green party lunatic, (laughs) I can't even get too, um, too offended by this because it's largely accurate. Um, they break into, uh, uh, the shady research facility that is now at the back of the, uh, farm, grab a vial of Mm -hmm. liquid with a really fucked up sheep embryo in it and make off with it. Very trioxin two, four, five. Yes. Of course it breaks. Of course, a disgusting little sheep puppet comes out, bites one of the eco-warriors, and turns him into, well, over the course of the film, mm. 
turns him into uh, a horrific, enormous human sheep zombie hybrid. Okay. The 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 lamb also bites some real sheep, which still look like sheep but become extraordinarily violent. Right. So you um, and that's that's your setup. You have the uh, the survival, the 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 younger brother and one of the eco warriors, and they're trying to survive, and they find out that the uh, the older brother is is increasingly mental and Herbert Westian. Yeah. And um, what was great was that it's um, when you can plot out a script without, if you weren't consciously thinking about it, it's just a film where when you get to the end of it, you think, oh, good. This is pretty good. I don't don't remember being bored or having to check my phone, but when you watch it and you see the timestamp going along and you think, okay, at at the 57 minute mark in a 88, 89 minute film, that is when an escalation occurs at exactly the right point, which just kicks the whole thing into this kind of elevated status of, of insanity. And uh, um, there's emotional stakes, much like Shaun of the Dead, which is funny. Yeah. Shaun has a character arc. The zombie apocalypse teaches Shaun how to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And the same happens for the lead, uh, the lead character in, in Black Sheep, the, this this horrendous kind of madness that happens around them it changes the characters he has an arc. of the film it hasn't he has an arc the supporting characters are, are deployed it's a little broad some of the gags maybe don't land as well as they should but the entire concept of the film is a gag how much of that is cultural like the kiwi stuff do you think um because brain, I, brain I dead actually, is very specific too i, mean, so I yes I, I don't i don't know whether to laugh or cry at moments or just or puke it was just really, really <laughs> gross. So uh, how, how does this compare to some of that early Peter Jackson stuff? What's um, What really works is when the film itself is the gag, when you're taking seriously the idea of being terrified to walk past a sheep. <laughs> yeah. And sheep are inherently hilarious to look at. Has it changed so, your, your life as far as, it's like, is it like Jaws? You, you don't dare go swimming at the beach? Are, are you scared of uh, farmer's fields? I'm not especially scared of, of of sheep, although if you look into those eyes, those very strange shaped pupils, very beady, yeah, yeah, very. But um, it's it's uh, it cribs from the best in the right way. So the kind of the the, the crazy science lab looks a, a little reanimator. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the um, uh, there's a transformation sequence which f- totally riffs. On American Wealth in London. Oh, good. The uh, the, el- the elongating of the snout. It's the same shot. It's the same gag. Crib from the best, and don't apologize for it. Just do it well. Yeah. And you'll you'll get away with it. And combine enough. In- and also, you know, like, um, not that you want to say that any time you have to see a group of animals behaving terrifyingly as Hitchcockian, because that's a twatty thing right, to say. Right. But you know, it's it's, it's a similar thing. They're, they play the whole thing straight enough that the central joke always plays well. Mm. If you if you lean too far into the silly, this idea of the sheep, you didn't take the the central premise seriously enough, nobody's going to buy into it and it's going to look like shit. Mm. Um, but if you lean too far into the serious, which is uh, another trap you can fall into, yeah. you you lose your audience because it's not really that entertaining. Well, um, so the only the only thing that maybe doesn't read is some of the 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 verbal gags most of the humor is at the expense of a clueless eco warrior called uh experience and i think that's that's possibly the thing that ages it most in the kind of 2006 you know she's into feng shui 
and she's into chakras and that's inherently hilarious every time you but, say um eco warrior i just think of dave angel from uh, the fast show but, uh, <laughs> carried uh, away like a moonlight shadow uh the other thing was I I love it when films are kind of um, daft in their concept, but are executed. Uh, the, the artistry behind it is is mm. uh, kind of uh, taken seriously, and uh, if Weta are involved, that just that, that just makes me want to watch it because they're, they're they're so um, they're such a great group. And uh, finally, I have to apologize because I took away the zombie animal square from the bingo board which would have been great for this one but there there just wasn't enough zombie animals throughout the uh the picks so it didn't quite make the final cut but you can have an honorary sip of your of your beverage when when you're watching uh black sheep but uh, it's not not technically a a final zombie probably don't do a shot (laughs) don't do a shot every time you see a sheep oh that's yeah i'm not again advocating for that uh, june or whatever yeah. it was <laughs> but, um but yeah it's uh it's it's really fun really really fun and it held up very well and as we were saying the mid-2000s in some of these films it had a tendency to be a little on the ugly side i don't know whether it's the 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 encroaching digital intermediate coloring and how much you could do and thus i think people went a little crazy with it mm. uh in some cases they went versus has a little bit of that i think it's um uh, the one thing that hasn't aged especially well is that it was it was tweaked a little digitally, even though everything was very practical. Whereas this is shot very classically. Uh, I saw maybe two to three sequences where you could think that they were actually employing CG, and when they were, as you said, it's to it's to mask the joins or to do things that were physically impossible. You can't have a rampaging. Uh, um, herd of sheep destroying destroying a a a conference yeah because people would die can we take a few um puppet boxes here the animatronics or or puppets it's it's all of the tricks so you've got real you've got real animals then you've got real animals being subbed in for very very convincing puppet sheep then you've got kind of fucked up kind of uh again evil dead 2-esque like the um (laughs) the the deer head yeah yeah. that's that's a real kind of influence yeah and and then presumably um, everything that's wide where they're running is cg uh it's probably only in a couple of shots sometimes it's and it, it's usually based on real footage of, of sheep they've just integrated it into oh, their they're, they're the shots. size they're, they're just kind of uh, they're, yeah they're kind of, uh, uh, in, they're, rage infected exactly they're pissed off sheep yeah. <laughs> but they are mostly sheep but it's the humans that become sheep like that that's where you've got the really interesting yeah. stuff mm. um there's a <laughs> i i don't want to get into too much spoiler territory <laughs> but um uh it's it's going to be impossible to do a film about sheep that's either about new zealand or about wales if it was shot in britain that isn't gonna play on the trope of sheep shagging let's just <laughs> say that um they don't overdo it and the one that they do is very very good okay they've earned it um so yeah black sheep is one of those kind of rare um zombie comedies of the era that i felt like was kind of worthy of its uh, uh, uh of its place and and that i think holds up very well we are moving on next year again i think these are all pretty tightly together um 2007 uh, we're going with a bit of found footage uh, and we're heading to Spain 
for wreck. Do you pronounce the brackets? <laughs> yeah, I pronounce the brackets. Um, again, this is um, part of that post-Resident Evil pandemic zombie um, extension of the subgenre, I guess. Um, a lot of these films kind of fall into that that category around around that era. Um, if, if we're arguing whether they're zombies or not, which I got totally preoccupied with. Uh, and I thought, oh, the basement dwellers are going to go for us. But um, the the creatures in this, they have a, a loss of humanity. They have a mindlessness and a lack of control. A loss of personality, individuality and humanity. Uh, acting on a drive to consume. Uh, there's also the mob trope, the hordes. Uh, and most of that that I just said was stolen from uh, Rostrum, uh, our favorite, uh, sorry, Monstrum, our yep. favorite um, three-part series um, uh, that kind of inspired some of the way we're approaching this. Uh, I should have probably pointed out just at the very end of Black Sheep there that, of course, that counts because it's the most um, blunt and obvious metaphor for the unthinking horde. It's literally... A, a mob of sheep. Well, there you go. We don't have the animal zombie, but I think a zombie horde, I, I think you can definitely apply that to black sheep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're post 9-11 and this, this has a very interesting connection to 9-11. I haven't heard anyone talk about, but, um, and I don't know how much the, the, the directors have talked about it. Maybe I heard it on the DVD, but there, there was a, a documentary film uh, made by two French brothers, the Nordette brothers, on on nine eleven, they were following uh, a, a proby firefighter uh, around, and they happened to be filming this firehouse and uh, this trainee firefighter as the events of nine eleven unfolded, and they were part of the first ladder to respond to the incident. So. Wow they were making a documentary about one thing and they were thrown into this thing. They were the only, I think aside from a couple of angles that caught the first plane going in um, from very far away that uh, they were like looking at a gas main. I think there's a report of a gas leak and the plane just came overhead and they, they caught the first plane going in and then they followed the entire events of the day to, to the extent where they were actually in one of the towers when the other one collapsed. And ev everything had been captured on these uh, little DV, DV cameras. And uh, some of this aesthetic was, was taken by the directors of Wreck. 
and uh, applied to the, the the zombie genre, the found footage um, video genre. So um, one of those things that people always say, like, well, why are they filming? Like, why would you continue to film this? Uh, we're prepping a podcast on paranormal activity at the moment. I don't want to give away too many sandwiches, but uh, you have to ask yourself at some point, why are they continuing to film to this degree? Um, uh, so, so some films answer it better than others. And uh, if, if you look at what happened with those, the, the two French brothers on 9-11, they, this thing was unfolding in front of them and they just continued to film. It could be to distance themselves from the horrific nature of what's happening around them. They could have known that it was an important event in history and thought hey, it's worth a bit of cash or who knows uh, where, where that decision was coming from. But I, I just accept that people would film, particularly today, like uh, with everyone with phones in their pockets, they would film just everything, no matter how hor- horrific it was. So I just accept that and go along with it. And I love found footage um, horrors in particular. Um, so that's one of the more fascinating aspects to how this one came about. Uh, I think it was originally going to be police officers, but uh, they thought that firefighters would... Um, uh, elicit more uh, empathy from an audience, uh, which is definitely, again, true today. Everyone loves firefighters, but only people are into cops at the moment, particularly in America. But uh, you've got Angela Vidal as the uh, um, uh, played by uh, the beautiful Manuela Velasco. Uh, she's making a show called Here Tonight. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, called While You're Asleep. And uh, she's following uh, firefighters and it's presented as raw footage, uh, but kind of seemingly edited in places, but in a very believable way. Um, not like something like the American office, which which took real liberties. I As much as I like it, uh, the UK office was whenever something was being filmed covertly, you kind of believed it. Uh, when it got to the American point, it was like, are they even following the, the faux documentary rules anymore? They just started breaking too many, too many rules for me. But uh, th- this one sticks quite closely to it. Uh, it's got a minuscule running time. Um, I think it's only 76 minutes long, this film, and it moves wow. like a bullet. Um, it's really, really great. Um, I've, I've written, it's like mainlining fear, uh, <laughs> which I guess is the drug reference. I don't know. But um, <laughs> It's uh, it just doesn't waste any time, and and what it does, it does it, it in a very heightened way. Um, uh, so as as this is all taking place, she's following these firefighters around for the night. The the um the, the apartment complex is kind of overrun by um, uh, infected people, which, which the bites can transfer it from one person to another it's it's revealed later in the the rec series that and 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 towards the end of the first film actually that uh, it's more of a possession story it's connected more okay. to uh, it has the roots in something more like evil dead than the romero stuff but these are zombie bites if i've ever seen them uh, that the zombies do run and scream and uh, it's incredibly nightmarish. Like if you think about Night of the Living Dead, that's its own kind of nightmare. But once they start running and they outnumber you and they're incredibly quick, and once they're on you before you even know it, that's just another kind of fear that that's um, art- articulated really well here. And I know which zombies I'd rather deal with, but as much as I like the throwback, um, uh, the, the 
aesthetic of of the the, the slow moving rambling zombie hordes i think that this is more upfront in its in its terror um the the sounds of the gunshots in this film like down the hallways are just deafening uh, the transitions are quite interesting. They fall into kind of a coma and then they um, emerge as as, uh, as zombies or, or the, the possessed from that point. Uh, but it's it's a very, there's not really a death and then a reanimation. It's more of a coma and then they kind of gradually slip into, uh, they slip into the coma and then rise from it very uh, abruptly. And they're incredibly aggressive. It's it's very twenty eight post twenty eight days later, um, rage uh, infected, possessed. Really, um, it has a particularly uh, good handheld chaos about it. I'd describe it as being like a fun house or a, or a ghost train. It's very fun, but, but it's like a ride you can't get off. Um, and uh, the conclusion is very good. Um, it reminded me of uh, Silence of the Lambs in a way. It turns into a, a night vision kind of denouement where uh, she faces off against uh, something, shall we say, uh, in a one-on-one. And uh, again, it's all filmed through the perspective of a, a night vision camera and it's it's really brilliantly done i'd probably lose the rock and roll spanish outro music over the credits right (laughs) uh, if i was being picky but um it's certainly better than the horrific remake which was called quarantine america uh, took took wreck and redid it and uh it's drastically inferior so i'd i'd recommend avoiding that one and going straight straight to spain but i've i've never seen uh either i i must admit i was um I was a very early burnout on uh, found footage mm. and have never really taken the time to go back and correct that by watching the better examples of it. Because I think um, you don't want to disregard anything in the toolbox. You can make whatever you want and you can make whatever you want using whatever tools you want. But there are times that we've, we've both spoken about how maybe that um, there are times when quite harsh digital video is not something that we particularly like the look of. Yeah. But there are going to be times when it's completely applicable and it's the right tool for that specific thing. Uh, I think the problem was found footage was cheap. And so they did a lot of things in found footage that maybe should have just been a real film. And like you say, not using the unique first person perspective of the camera being a character, having to be held by an active participant within the story. So I do find that quite interesting. And um, yeah, I guess... I I know so little about it that I genuinely the only thing I've ever seen is probably that one repeated shot that you always see of um, night vision and somebody being dragged away from the camera, which is a fantastic shot. No, no, it leads directly into Rec Two, which is to um, it, it's like what Aliens is to Alien. Uh, Rec okay. Rec Two becomes uh, you know you have a SWAT team going into the same apartment building and it turns more more into an action film but it's uh again terrifically done and i was tempted okay. to put them side by side i like them so much uh once three and four kind of uh take it in a slightly different direction uh away from the uh the setting of the original but um the first two are fantastic i'd certainly recommend them but yeah start with the start with the original 76 minutes you can't go wrong and uh i i think if you I dare you to put it on very loud 
pitch black and uh yeah just blast it out and um, i think you'll get a few a few jumps out of it and uh i, I just think you'd be interested in, and the the fact that it's in spanish is is very interesting there's one guy there's an interesting character a very effeminate man um who fancies one of the firefighters and and he goes into a rant about the chinese people in the building and there's a lot of kind of xenophobic stuff he's talking about oh, them okay around and the uh the uncooked fish and the, the food that they eat and it rem- it reminded me of you know what trump was doing with the the chinese flu stuff and that, that okay, they're right yeah immediately the target of this guy's vitriol and uh so, someone has to be blamed immediately and it's like blame the foreigners and yeah. uh so i don't know how how representative that is of of spain at the time anyway but um it's it's got some some echoes in in 2020 2021 for sure i actually think uh anti certainly anti chinese sentiment in um uh spain and and also in in italy it's mm. it's a it's a real it's a real thing every country has its uh deep-rooted xenophobia problems and i think that it's going to be both culturally specific in this case but also universal in that yeah you're right there's always got to be you know, somebody, it's somebody's at fault. Somebody's to blame. Uh, I, I should also, I only do about three impressions, but um, I could do one of the little girl. Uh, they ask oh, the okay. Little girl in wreck. They ask her uh, 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 what her name is. And she says, uh, Yennefer. <laughs> I, I will, I'll report back after I watched it on your accuracy. Okay. So the next one, my next pick is uh, 28 weeks later. From 2007. Welcome to London. We're heading into District 1. Although District 1 is completely safe, outside the security zone, London remains a wasteland. There are a large number of bodies still left to be cleared from the original outbreak of infection. And I know what people are probably thinking. Why on earth did you pick that and not the um, original? Uh, and I, I watched them both back and you touched upon it a minute ago when you talked about the DV look and uh, and the, the kind of uh, the, the cheapness sometimes it, it can kind of unfortunately depict. And as much as I admire Danny Boyle and, you know, his PD, PD-150 uh, that which is the yeah. same kind of cameras we were using at the time at college and uh, and uni, um, and I I really appreciate what he did, but um, then there's some great stuff in it. But the the way I 
put it was it felt British with a lowercase b. It felt okay. like they were tentatively dipping their toe in the water and saying, like, can we make a British zombie film? Can we pull it off? And again, it was pre Shaun of the Dead, and uh, it was the first time anyone had really attempted it for a, for a while, certainly in our country. And uh, but again, I, I appreciate them going for it, but I I feel like the sequel popped out uh, as being more interesting to me this time around. Um, it's got an intensity that you you wouldn't believe. Like the opening scenes are truly scary um again it's the 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 running um the the anti-zombie in a way but um there's no shambling here they're just frantically um it, it, it the movie goes from this intimate farmhouse setting candle lit and then explodes outwards into this multiple assailant pursuit where uh uh, poor Robert Carlyle has to <laughs> escape the the house and everyone he's he's with who all get yeah, devoured. This is the first few minutes, so I hope I'm not spoiling too much. But um, and he escapes like out into the country and he's been pursued by these running zombies. And it was the, one of the first times I'd really seen it really around around this time. I think I saw Wreck kind of after the fact, but um, they. they they kind of proved with the first one that they were capable of delivering a, a really decent genre film because we're kind of, it's posed to us like, how dare you try and make a film like that in England? It's like they point you towards the kitchen sink and, and give you a tripod and say, you know, go and be Mike Lee or, um, you know, do something like that. But um, I think a lot of the people at film school kind of just re- reject that. Um, th- this one's just off the charts in terms of its, um, intensity and its overall kind of bleakness uh, and it was kind of exhausting to be honest um but um there's some terrific effects um you've got some great actors uh running throughout it you've got jeremy renner popping up um that there's a lot to do with quarantine uh and it felt very eerily prescient in that way and uh, the guy that shouts Walt a lot in Lost, and I can't remember his <laughs> name. Uh, yeah, it's kind of harrowing. Uh, there's a particularly harrowing nude quarantine scene uh, with Robert Carlyle's wife. Uh, zones in London, sections under lockdown. Uh, of course, it all stems from the rage-filled monkeys that have uh, been let out in the first movie. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with snipers. I love snipers in films. Uh, Jeremy Renner as Doyle is is very cool in this. Uh, unfortunately, we descend into fully rendered CGI stuff. Um, there's a particularly bad scene with a helicopter where a hel- helicopter decapitates. I don't know how many zombies. Like not in a Dawn of the Dead way, but in, in a ridiculous over the top rotor blade decapitation right um, you know you, you i don't know if it's the emirates or i think it's wembley uh they, they end up there um there's some very shady green screen compositing going on it doesn't look as good as it could uh one negative is that it's very monotonous and it's very heavy um and there's this unrelenting depiction of chaos and hopelessness and disaster as this epidemic spreads so this is a real downbeat one 
But sometimes, you know, you're in the mood for that, particularly when you're watching zombie films. Like sometimes you want a really relentless kind of uh, grim affair. And if you if you fancy that, this is this is the one to go for. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I think I saw it when it came out and and not since. Um, I would actually quite like to watch it again because I know certainly a lot of the um, the quarantine areas that they're depicting uh, uh, my my neck of the woods. It's uh, it's all Docklands kind of area, and a lot of where I live kind of reminds me of of that. It's all you know brand new developments, and we've got the DLR around here. And I know that that was yeah. was just being just being put in. I think in that. At that time, they were just revamping the DLR, which is why they had so much access to it. Mm. Well, this would be the, the next step from if, if COVID really went, um, you know, if it got even worse, it would be martial law. And then we've got a lot of the scenes that we see in this film, you know, uh, the sweeping of empty houses and uh, by, by uh, teams of SWAT teams. Yeah. And then you've got the empty depictions of things that extend from the first suit. So here you've got the Houses of Parliament that are completely isolated and uh, uh, depicted as this being no one around at all. So they, they play a lot of those tropes from the first uh, the first one, but on more of a large uh, Hollywood scale, like the whole of mainland Britain is quarantined. But really with this one, for me, it's the first 11 minutes that really, really knocks you out. I'd like to go back and again, I, I will be playing along at home just because um when you say that uh it could potentially be considered a bit one note and also very very heavy and grim yeah. um i do love oddly a lot of uh somewhat depressing media but there's something about horror films where i think um it's it's never quite been my my thing i think most of the stuff i've picked for this has always had a at least an edge of kind of slightly neon splattered levity to yeah. it or a kind of a, or in the case of something like cemetery man, like a kind of twisted Gothic beauty to it. There's, mm-hmm. um, there's something about like, you know, rendering these, these, these sets and the, you know, it can be grim and it can be disgusting and it can be, you know, you can have faulty blasting people with maggots and stuff, but there's something about like relentlessly grim depictions of just how fucked you could be that maybe it, it, it inspires a little too much it's more anxiety than it is fear and i'm not sure that's somewhere where i, I <laughs> like living for too long it's also worrying because it's depicting areas that where you are literally living so yeah uh, it's it's it'd be a bit of a downer but again it's on a hollywood scale um it, it does it in- incredibly well and the fact that it's britain bought me a lot of it, it bought a lot of time with me because I, I couldn't remember too much about it. And then when I watched it, it, it felt like it's it's a British zombie film, but on a Hollywood scale. So that's that's really what, what hooked me in, despite the uh, the relentless kind of d- downbeat n- nature of it all. But uh, yeah, there's a few actors that you'll that you'll see and probably enjoy. But um, yeah, this this one's got a caveat on it. Uh, you've got to be in the mood for this one. It's a it's it's a bit of a downer. Um, and the British connection continues with your your next pick. Yeah, we're moving into uh, 2008, I believe, the year after, uh, with Channel 4's Dead Set. Grayson, Marky and Pippa. Oh, so 37 minutes to go, minions. Can you take Ashley to the BLV room? Yeah, I'm on it. I don't know this job. Oi, Barbara. I said, is that your eviction outfit? It's not really real, is it? 
This is Big Brother. He started it. I'm a bit concerned, actually. We might get bumped for the news. Stockwell, Cardiff, Portsmouth. Why do people want it anyway? It's not the 80s. Stop Eyewitnesses describe dead or injured people attacking one another en masse. Five seconds. Dead set coming soon on E4. Is that <laughs> so off. Uh, anyone sticking with our picks and watching along will get Andy Nyman's obscure reference. Face like a Manchester morgue that I said last time. <laughs> so um, if if you've ever wondered what putting Dawn of the Dead shopping mall substituting the Monroeville Mall for the Big Brother house and the Big Brother compound would look like, then that's dead set. It's a a series of of episodes, um, but it's been kind of compiled into a version that you can watch in its entirety. I watched the episodic version. The uh, entire thing can be consumed episodically, or you can, uh, I believe there's a version where you can see it all spliced together, uh, which is 141 minutes, I believe. But the the one that I watched actually had no credits and it just uh, went from one to the next. Uh, perhaps we can, uh, I think there is the entirety on YouTube at present, but I don't know how long it's going to be up there. So maybe we can okay. put links into to where, where it can be streamed currently, if it can be streamed. Uh, streamed i guess 4od may have it um i i would hope so 4od usually has a pretty good back catalog it does um this one is the brains child sorry of tv wiper and black mirror maestro charlie brooker um and he's the one who really uh nails this one the if you've ever watched his wipes you'll know about his kind of satirical dark approach to um skewering television or that he did games wipe didn't he too he did everything and uh he's he's very smart and uh he offers a a a very profound contemporary take on on the zombie narrative here uh the, the big brother house itself um is used you've got footage from live evictions that are spliced in uh, you've got appearances from uh, former housemates. You've got uh, Davina McCall actually becoming a zombie, which in one of my favorite scenes. Uh, he's a, a French director, Jan Demange. He made uh, Top Boy. He directs very proficiently here. There's a lot of urgency, a lot of pace. Um, it does owe a lot to 28 Days Later and that PD-150 look. But here we're we're talking about television, so that video look being prevalent isn't a problem at all. It fits in brilliantly. the The zombies have that kind of sprinting, rage infected aesthetic that's again pinched from from Danny Boyle's uh, original. Uh, but it also has this jittery, juddery step frame thing going on with the with the shutter. Um, so it gives it a really terrific urgency uh, it does wear thin a little bit i would imagine over the course of three hours if you're watching in one sitting that's gonna 
that juddery thing has has become slightly gimmicky but it does it adds this abstract urgency to it again it's like you blink and then they're on you and it's it's not the shambling horde there was a, a point of contention i think with simon pegg um who pointed out that these were running zombies and and not um faithful to romero's um original zombies and there's an inauthenticity there but brooker invoked a scene from the original dawn of the dead where two zombie children run i think they're running at ken forey and he he guns them down so again perhaps he's reaching but um it's it's the modernization it's the the fast zombie era that we're in now we've had wreck we've had uh probably starting with 28 days later i'd imagine and then weeks had it and then uh and then this also uh, adopts that uh, it would have worked either way i think they, they could have gone with the shambling shambling hordes um but it, fans of big brother will see eugene ziggy makozi bubble imogen ashaline if you remember ashaline and uh brian bellow who thankfully gets his own uh brilliant zombie transformation um um riz ahmed pops up uh kevin eldon favorite of uh, both of ours uh, always happy to see him he's under the radar brilliant in this one um, it's been the glue that's held british comedy together since like the mid 90s totally unappreciated not many people know who he is but they know his face he's kind of that guy isn't he but um it's a scathing attack on the shallow, the self-absorbed, the narcissistic, and it, from <laughs> and the complicit audience at home, the people controlling the show. Uh, it's got great lines like, uh, does this mean we're not on telly anymore? Uh, when the apocalypse kind of takes over, uh, Big Brother is not watching us. Uh, lines like that really pop. And I think uh, Charlie Brooker, as a, as a student of this kind of television and also like taking his um the talents that he would eventually bring to to black mirror and um putting those two things together um he he does incredibly well there's another thing that happens in big brother when a contestant leaves it would usually be described as feeling like a death um once you've spent so much time with someone in close proximity and then they're suddenly ripped out of the house um it is, it, they often remark upon that feeling like a death. So it kind of fits in in that sense. There's also the rise and fall of someone like Jade Goody that happened uh, just the year before in 2007. This is someone who was created by Big Brother and then eventually destroyed by it, you know, indirectly and kind of uh, leading to her, her illness. Um, I, I, I'd go as far as to say that it's, the most interesting slant that I've seen on the zombie genre since um, maybe the beginning, maybe certainly since Dawn of the Dead, the original for me, it, it's as a big brother fan, I, I can really appreciate what Brooke is doing um, by employing that, that trope of the zombie genre, the social commentary and, uh, and uh, applying it to something that was so prevalent at the time. Um, 10 years Big Brother was was on Channel Four, and I watched every every minute of it as bad as it got. 
I was hanging in there. I was a huge fan. So to to see that spliced together with one of my favorite horror subgenres is just uh, unmissable for me. It's um, I I always liked uh, uh, Charlie Brooker from his um, his Guardian articles, um, his screen burn. I used to read them in the in the guide, and then yeah, those those early series of of screen wipe, and also a big fan of Nathan Barley, which is one of those fantastic sitcoms that got in, did exactly what it needed to do in an extremely short space of time, satirized something so completely that nobody's really tried to do the same thing since because it's all still completely applicable. I live in very close proximity to Hackney. I can tell you that it is exactly the same. And that much like Dan Ashcroft, I myself am a lot worse than I like to think I am. Well, we all are. Yeah. And it was, it was great to see him, like you say, to, to, it could have been a gimmick. Any of these ones that worked could have so easily not worked. The black sheep could have been a gimmick that was, that was fumbled. This could have been a gimmick that was we could you know get up on a high horse and fnar at it and you know oh, look at look at all these morons and but um from what i recall i like i say it's i've not seen it since it was on tv originally but i do remember it going a lot deeper into to unpicking the kind of the foundations of the appeal of the show and the like you say that the complicity of of us as viewers and and what we get involved in. And I think Charlie Brooke has always been quite conscious of like his position as a massive hypocrite mm-hmm. and willing to just, there's no point uh, either being defensive about it. And there's also very little point in just disengaging from everything because it's just, it's mass culture and it's popular culture. And um, to, to sit on the sidelines and pretend it's not happening is also not really going to, going to do anything. So it's pretty great that he created something quite, kind of epic and deep out of something that could have been extremely shallow and stupid. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm rambling a bit because it's my pick again. Uh, we're on to World War Z or Z, uh, depending where you are in the world, from 2013. Does it live in a jungle? No. Oh. Is it really fast? No. Does it live on the Great Plains of Africa? No. Hey! What is going on? Hold on, guys. Betty, be careful on the road. Jerry? Get back in your car right now! Remain with your feet! Uh, this one has a quote within it. Uh, Mother Nature is a serial killer. Um, th- this one is uh, what was described on the Monstrum series as the hive zombie. Yes. Um, they're very insect-esque uh, in this one. Uh, very similar to what we'll see in uh, the next pick. Uh, this isn't a bad double bill, actually. The 28th of May and the 29th of May. Maybe you could do them together. Um, you know, the next wave of global disasters could dictate what the next bunch of zombie films are going to be. It, it all relates to our current fears. And here it's a, a, a widespread pandemic. So it's very relevant to what we're going through in 
2021. That adds a poignancy to to World War Z, and uh, it could just play as something uh, that's not so smart. But if what we're going through currently, uh, it it does raise the game of the film a little bit. Um, I've I've gone more for viral zombie movies towards the end, probably because of the COVID nineteen era. Um, uh, the zombies in this one uh, turn within 12 seconds of being bitten. So if, if you're bitten by one of them, you've got 11 or 12 seconds before it goes, before it all goes off. And then you've uh, the creatures here are capable of headbutting their way through car windscreens and more extreme behavior. Uh, it's like the, the 2013 version of the original uh, graveyard zombie from from Romero with the with the brick trying to smash his way into the car um but the updated version the first 12 minutes of this one really get get it going um it does lag a little and it did have some uh, problems as far as the production was concerned um the depictions of looting the loss of electricity uh, there's a great bit where there's a police officer where Brad Brad Pitt is looting um, uh, a store to get um, uh, medication for his child, and uh, a police officer runs in and they all hold their hands up as if to say, you know, guilty is charged, um, you know, don't arrest us. And the officer runs straight past them and he starts looting the store himself. And that is like a, in a single shot as a depiction of chaos. And and how quickly things can just go to hell. Um, I I found that very effective. Uh, for someone who's allergic to CGI, I can somehow stomach this one. Uh, I think in order to make something on this massive scale, you need to employ the technology to do this kind of hive zombie film. They're this this insectoid. They're like ants, you know. Um, right. Uh, the the little CG zombie avatars capable of kind of climbing and clamoring over each other into these giant pyramids. Um, they're like swarming insects. It's another evolution of the genre, and it and it made the zombie film bigger in in its scope and and scale. Um, there's some peaks and troughs, but this one's very watchable. It dials it right up. Um, it's pretty heavy handed. There's some obvious expositional dialogue and some of it is so bad. It's, it's not that far off a Roland Emmerich movie at times, although it's never <laughs> be that, that bad, but some of it is, is it, it sounds harsh, but you know, some of it's pretty bad. Um, you were on the ground in Libya. You did this, you did that. Uh, as they describe the background of the, of the Brad Pitt character. Um, uh, South Korea is the first place to mention the word uh, zombie in this story. Uh, there's a Camp Humphreys sequence uh, in a military base in South Korea, which interestingly, uh, they chose not to base in China because they couldn't sell the film in China if they slagged off China too much and said right. that the outbreak began there. So they moved it to Korea, who are obviously more more lenient. The, the film happens kind of sequentially in in a really quite a watchable way. It's built up in sections. It starts in Philadelphia almost immediately with a 
terrific action sequence again cgi laden blah 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 i don't care on this one i really just just go for it again we talked about brad pitt on the jesse james podcast about how watchable he is and uh i'm not entirely sure what the draw is but um i i find him incredibly watchable as a as a leading man but um then we're straight into the camp humphreys bit in korea which feels like part two of the movie. And then part three is like the Jerusalem part that you've probably seen on some uh, uh, trailers uh, where the, the, the swarming masses are all trying to get into a, a walled off area in Jerusalem. And then finally, uh, the WHO lab or the WHO lab in Cardiff of all places where the, the film takes a bit of a nosedive and all kind of slows down where we end up in a lab with uh, the bloke from Doctor Who, uh, Peter Capaldi. Um, it all gets a bit earnest and cheesy towards the end uh, with the with the coda. It, it was famously rewritten, uh, penned by Damon Lindelof and reshot. Um, it went massively over budget. There was a scene in Moscow's Red Square, which was dropped... Um, but they spent a fortune on this thing, two hundred and sixty-nine million. It's rumored wow. uh, to cost, and uh, but it grossed over five hundred and forty million, which makes it the highest-grossing zombie film of all time. Uh, so again, it, it's got this dance music score, like a pulsing thing by uh, Matt Bellamy from Muse, uh, which again I shouldn't really like but um some of it kind of works um again it's not day of the dead 85 but um it's somewhat of a guilty pleasure and uh, and for me it's worthy of worthy of the list it's worthy of my 15 anyway that seems i mean it, like you say it's, it was a huge film um in all senses i have never seen it i think um again i'd I dropped out a little. This was not, this is not my zombies. No. Um, and uh, this is, this is definitely going to encourage me to, to open up my heart a little to the little $300 million movie that could. I'd, I'd recommend watching it um, from the beginning. And as it's, it's presented in these kind of sections, if you don't enjoy the Philadelphia section, you're yeah. probably not going to go for the rest of it. So I'd, I'd give, give that first Philadelphia segment a chance. And if you're enjoying it, hang in there. And if you're not, it's not the end of the world. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, I remember the, the tortuous production. I think this would probably be around the time that I was, you know, yeah, it's uh, uh, the long, long, long march to cinemas probably started in like the mid 2000s, probably while we were still at film school. I remember the book, um being uh widely touted uh being snapped up for adaptation and immediately people saying i'm not sure how you're going to be able to adapt something that is so rigidly of its form the book is compiled as if it's a series of memos and reports and uh on the ground reportage and it's in like an assemblage and mm -hmm. um so i remember it passing through a bunch of writers and at one point fincher was was potentially mooted as the he was hired yeah to, to do the uh the sequel um, and one of the reasons it didn't go ahead uh, was the Chinese government's ban on uh, films featuring zombies and ghosts, which I had no clue about, but it would have affected the commerciality of the film to such a degree that they didn't even 
go ahead and and make it. Wow, I mean, I I know this is a uh, a topic that's probably been covered elsewhere, probably far greater. But yeah, the reliance on um, on box office from China having so much sway over what does and doesn't get um, commissioned as a as a film that's that's the first I've heard of something just being outright cancelled because it won't play. Well, that's, that's fascinating. That's yeah, I mean, how how true it is. I don't know. We're not we're not a trivia pod, but um, no, that, that was no. I found in the research. Um, but yeah, the 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 visuals, like you say, probably in in the flow when you're watching the film, when you're when you're uh, uh, you're caught up in it, and it's all happening and it's chaos, and especially probably in the cinema, that would be really really well, yeah, that really helped me. Again, I saw this one at the pictures, so th- that swarming aspect with the 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 big droning score was was a, a really enticing thing. Um, but certainly I, I think it suffered a little for being, if you watch clips of it in TV advertising spots, it didn't, it didn't look like, like my kind of thing, but, uh, I am definitely willing to, especially now that the fury has died around, like around it has died down and it's probably not a film that comes up particularly often. Uh, it's one of those, those anomalous tales of a, a tremendously successful to a degree, even though it cost a fortune and was probably considered a bit of a disappointment despite its huge box office. Uh, a huge film which, after it has its moment in the sun and the discourse chews it up and spits it out, it's it's just there. It's on the streaming platforms or it's on the lower shelves of Tesco in the DVD rack. And, yeah. Uh, I'd, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see to, to, to see it from, you know, from cold. Sure. Yeah, give it a whirl. And if, if you don't get past Philadelphia, it's okay. Okay. Um, now this one kind of bleeds into the next one. Uh, I'm currently here, living in Korea, and uh, it would be a travesty if I didn't pick Busan Heng, uh, aka Train to Busan from 2016. <laughs> This one is very quarantine centric and we're all struggling through the COVID-19 era. We haven't been locked down here, but um, it's felt like we have. We haven't seen certain groups of friends for a long time. And uh, it's uh, seeing Korea under lockdown on um, on screen is still quite a, a hard hitting thing because this has been my home now for five years. Um, it's probably similar to the way that you would feel watching 28 weeks later. Yeah. It's kind of a bizarre, relatable thing. Um, I took my parents to Busan a few years back, but we took the bus. Um, we could have taken the train, but um, uh, I remember my dad posting on Facebook how terrifying train to Busan was when he caught it on telly in England right. uh, and mum watched it and they don't watch zombie films, but because they had the name in and it was the, the name Busan and uh, they, they have a tie to Korea via me. And um, I think that spurred them on to watch it. And I'm very proud of them for getting through a, a zombie film together. It plays with the divorced family 
trope which we see a lot in films like uh, the war of the worlds the spielberg version and the roland emmerich stuff um 2012 kind of uh took a lot from spielberg i think um uh so, so unlike many of its hollywood counterparts though like train to busan is actually really moving and touching uh and this is where, where i have to confess to crying twice on average almost three times if i'm totally honest throughout its running time and over the course of the film it's how uh, a man proves his worth as a father it gets going really quickly it's two hours long but it doesn't waste any time at all uh this one as far as the zombies this one begins with a viral stowaway on the train just as the train is leaving uh someone who's been bitten and therefore infected makes their way onto the train and again you've got this enclosed space and uh zombies in a small area climbing over each other uh, it's akin to some of the stuff in um uh world war z where there's there's a zombie attack on a plane um which plays very similarly there's this kind of propulsive inhuman surging forward uh, where they're climbing over each other. It's incredibly intense. If you fancy going frame by frame through some of this stuff, it's really petrifying. I was going just frame by frame watching some of the background zombies. Um, the makeup is really good. It's got CG enhancements, but um, they used a lot of contortionists. So the the movements of the zombies and the, the transformation sequences are very captivating and uh it's unlike any other zombie film perhaps it's the, the the asian element that that takes it into another kind of zone um the zombies in this one freeze whenever darkness occurs so when the ktx train goes through tunnels they're rendered kind of impotent and you can sneak your way past them that was uh, a little adjustment to the zombie law uh, there's some very suspenseful sequences. Um, it's ultimately about a man who's a, a failure as a father redeeming himself in the eyes of his daughter. That's basically the gist of it. O on the predication that if this is a zombie film, uh, then something like Wreck must qualify. And what if World War Z qualifies as a zombie film, then 28 days and weeks later can qualify too we're into the, the the pandemic zombies the infected uh so again if i let one of these in i'm gonna i'm gonna let them all in uh just to broaden the net as we said in the first pod but yeah uh this is an interesting one have you have you ever seen train to busan i've not and it's it's one that was has been recommended uh, has a great reputation it's the sort of film that people have told me specifically that i would like and i think hearing your description of it probably it's the foregrounding of a specific family um uh, relationship that's being tested strained and changed by the zombie outbreak that's happening around them i think that's that's potentially the difference for me between like I have seen clips of this and, and yeah, that it is a, a very intense, it's the, it's the swarms. It's the, it's the overwhelming swarms of zombies. It's, it's very fast. It's very frenetic, which, which runs counter to what you would have seen back in the eighties. But 
um, probably I, I think that's that's the selling point for me is um, much like um, like something like a uh, host yeah being you know it's a it's a monster movie but it's a monster movie that's a um, a vehicle by which to to give us this tremendous character studies and a study of a family and it's it's a it's a narrative conclusion not a monstery conclusion which is always going to be more interesting so mm. once again this this definitely goes on the on the watch list i should honorable mention uh ma dong sok who is a uh, particularly big korean actor and celebrity does a lot of commercials um he's a, a, a burly gentleman that you definitely want on your side in a zombie brawl uh well uh sticking with um with east asia for for my my only pick of jeez what are we talking here certainly my only pick of the 2010s from 2017 this is one cut of the dead ここね? so clearly the, the the majority of this millennium of uh uh oh, sorry uh millennium of zombie movies really passed me by um and uh this is a film i talked about on halloween a halloween wind and there's not much more to add to it um without wanting to go too deep into spoilers on a film and i know that often this is something that comes up but there are certain films whereby the the plot exposition is the joy of it and you don't really want to to kind of to to wear anybody out and and have them expecting something which you know was was for me an extremely pleasant surprise uh, surprise but just to say that as I kind of hinted at with my exasperation post Shaun of the Dead, with the, I guess, single notable exception of Black Sheep, the comedy zombie movie was not something that I was particularly uh, enamored with. I think it's quite easy. Um, it's easy to do badly. And um, uh, if you've ever tried to pick your way through the wreckage of back in the old days, um, the kind of lower shelves of uh, local video shops or more recently streaming services, you'll see that horror is extremely well served because you can always find somebody who's going to fund it. Um, especially if you can chuck something together pretty cheaply, get some washed up celebrities in there for a bit of clout, you know, the, 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 the Sharknado model. Um, and, and I don't find them especially funny, nor do I find them especially good zombie films. Um, it's interesting that you're saying that uh, post, certainly post Snyder Dawn, the fast zombie is now the zombie. Like it's, it's going to be very difficult to go back to doing the shambling zombie in a, um, in a serious way. But in, in comedy, you tend to go with the slow zombie because they are inherently funnier. So I guess the, the, the comedies that we've made, Shaun of the Dead being one of them, 
by making light of the you know these 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 walking corpses you've kind of robbed them of their power in a way um it was probably necessary it was a necessary step you can't continue to try out the same thing and expect audiences not to get sick of it it was high time that it was uh, that part was retired and this was, um, but in here we've got the, the shambling zombies again. And the reason we do, have you seen one cut of the dead yet? I have. Yes. Okay. Maybe what we'll do this time, because, uh, last time I d- completely, um, avoided talking about the film. Maybe what we'll say is if you have still not yet seen it and you would like to, then, uh, if you have a look in the show notes, you'll see the time code of the next film we're going to talk about. Please skip ahead. Cause Otherwise, I'm going to be dancing around <laughs> this plot again. And I think it's a shame because I think there's such joy in the structure of this film. I've not seen anything like it. I've not seen anything that was so um, intricately assembled. This is this has the Shaun of the Dead mod- uh, model of doing a lot of work, an awful lot of work to create something which comes off as, very, uh, as being very uh, sweet light-hearted and seemingly effortless until you get to the closing credits mm-hmm. where you get to see the behind the scenes footage and you see how they created this this film and we talked about structure in a couple of the films yeah. the idea of making sure things change at the right time or keep the audience's attention the films that we've talked about that have let their second act drop out and become a series of the same thing happening and aimless wandering around and waiting for the next set piece the the Mm -hmm. film doesn't have time for that because it's basically broken down into three completely separate um uh uh, time frames the first being a a single unbroken shot of the of the making what you believe is the making of a very hackneyed very silly zombie film that seemingly is extremely awkward um uh characters lurch in and out of sequences there's a long stretch where uh, one character just uh has to describe her self-defense technique Pum! um and and you can see the actors visibly panicking um and uh every now and then a maniacal uh uh colorful shirted director will just leap into the frame yelling action and uh um the there are moments where the camera drops literally physically falls over um and then uh, uh at the conclusion of this very 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 strange zombie film with all these uh non sequiturs uh were greeted with um uh tv executives commissioning the film we've just seen uh i'll have to give a lot of props to the lead actor takiyuki hamatsu who plays a hangdog kind of uh, a hack basically he's brought in by a a new TV channel to to mm. direct a, a zombie television show for their for their their new horror channel, and it's going to be broadcast live, and it's going to be broadcast in one take. And he assembles a cast of misfits and weirdos, and his daughter is a, an aspiring filmmaker. And that that's again, you've got a film whereby the emotional core of the story is a quite simple, quite sweet tale of a parent reconnecting with their child who they feel is disappointed by them. I, very much a thematic link back to Train to Busan. So you see the uh, the, the the panicked creation of the of, of the film, um, and it leads up to uh, D Day or Z Day, the day when we shoot, and we then get 
timed out perfectly the the retelling of how we ended up with the film that we just watched mm. uh um with all the backstage panic and the reason why for example a character who's taken an axe to the head suddenly pops up <laughs> and is alive again <laughs> and it is because she was legitimately choked out because she was freaking out <laughs> and was potentially going to murder some of the other actors mm. um and it's really silly but it's 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 really silly in a heartfelt way yeah and it was just I was just kind of blown away by it. I just, I found it so heartwarming, the whole thing from start to finish. And, uh, the, the, the comedy in it is, is never too broad. I don't think, I think it rides a line really nicely of like, it's, um, it doesn't have to worry about some of the other comedy zombie horror movies because it is in and of itself, uh, it's clearly a fictional narrative. So you're not waiting to scare people at all. You don't have to scare them. It's, it's purely there to entertain. So um, it's just such an extraordinary kind of technical achievement in a way that um, for, a, a, I believe, a, a relatively uh, novice director in Shinichiro Ueda, um, I might be wrong there. It looks like he's actually, he's directed 14, um, 14 titles, but most of them seem to be short films or um uh, segments of films. It seems that he'd actually, uh, uh, come to this via potentially a short film that he'd made. It is, it's called Take Eight, a 19 minute short, which, uh, was the inspiration behind this one. So to be able to plot this out, much as we were saying with Edgar Wright and, and Simon Pegg, to be able to plot this one out so perfectly and, um, and not to get lost in the technical details of plotting it out. I, I, I kind of love that about it. Um, that was the second to last film. And the final film in our series is The Dead Don't Die from 2019. In this peaceful town, on these quiet streets, something terrifying, something horrifying is coming. Excuse me, we're closed. Get away from me! Get out of the What the hell was it? A wild animal? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. You look gorgeous. Oh my. Are you in this together? Flesh-eating zombies. Don't joke, it's really, really creepy. Oh, man, this isn't going to end well. They gravitate towards things they did when they were alive. Coffee. Chardonnay. Did she just say Chardonnay? Yeah, she did. Welcome to my world, zombies. I've been telling you this is all going to end badly. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm quite confident of my ability to defend myself against the undead. I can see that. Excuse me. 
Those are some pretty good cuts. You played some minor league ball, didn't you? Well, a, a little class A. It was a long time ago. So this one marks the the most contemporary installment. Uh, it's a Jim Jarmusch zombie film, uh, and that sounds very appealing to me. I don't know about you. I was very excited uh, when this was announced. I, I thought this is a this is a very cool idea. I've liked a lot of the kind of. I've even liked a lot of the later Jim Jarmusch stuff that that people thought was a bit shit. Like I, I really <laughs> loved the limits of control, and I seem to be about one of maybe ten people who tolerated that one. <laughs> well, I didn't see this until researching uh, for our uh, for this list. Uh, this one has got a real star-studded ensemble. You've got Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover, Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Selena Gomez, Tilda Swinton. Rosie Perez, nice to see her again. Iggy Pop, Rizza, Carol Kane, and a vagrant Tom Waits. Um, and one of the most attractive uh, zombies in our list, aside from the mum from the OC, is Charlotte uh, <laughs> Kemp Mule, I believe it's pronounced, who's married to Sean Lennon. And she plays uh, the fashion zombie in a location eerily reminiscent of the children from 1980, which I saw recently on YouTube. It's in the YouTube playlist. Um, there's a, a, a zombie outbreak in a, a small American town. And uh, Bill Murray is the chief of police. Uh, Adam Driver is his partner. And Chloe Sevigny is uh, the third in that kind of triangle of, uh, of leads. Um, it's very bizarre. There's a peculiar moment where the two leads, uh, Murray and Driver, tune into uh, the radio, and Adam Driver points out that the the song on the radio sounds familiar because it's the theme to the movie. And Bill Murray seems completely unaware that he's in a movie, but Adam Driver is apparently completely aware of it. Uh, and this recurs again later when the two of them are discussing. Jim Jarmusch's direction, like within the movie. Right. Uh, it's going to be too meta and hipster for some. But um, after seeing zombie movies and zombies depicted every which way for 30 days, I think people are really going to get a kick out of this one and, and the the odd premise of it all. And the way it just kind of breaks apart everything that came before. Um. It's quite short um, and sweet. Uh, if you fancy seeing an undead Rizza, a zombie Iggy Pop, uh, Tilda Swinton as a Scottish samurai sword-toting mortician, uh, Steve Buscemi uh, in a Keep America White Again uh, MAGA hat um, uh, as a Republican governor with a dog named Rumsfeld. And, and, and why wouldn't you want to see that? Um, Danny Glover shearing the heads off zombies with hedge trimmers uh, and Adam Driver driving a red smart car. Centerville is the name of the town. Um, again, I'm a bit of a broken record with the CGI, but the CGI is bothersome. But in this film, it's stylized in a way that's kind of forgivable. There's a black dust that rises when the zombies are killed. Um and uh, as there's a lot of sam samurai sword slayings in this one, there's a very Walking Dead way 
in which the the sliced heads kind of slide off sideways in a in a bizarre cg kind of way again it's not day of the dead 85 but um the visuals work within the context of this one the coolest thing about it is that i didn't think it was possible to make a meditative calming peaceful zombie movie but jarmusch has done it it's very smart it's very accepting of death and very matter-of-fact self-referential um to the point where Adam Driver actually has a Star Wars keychain. Um, uh, it's kind of referencing everything that's gone before. He's clearly a fan of zombie movies uh, in in a similar vein to, to what Edgar Wright was doing. Uh, he's not really poking fun at it. Uh, he's not ridiculing it. He, there's a joy to, to him working within this subgenre. Yeah. Um, it's strangely relaxing and peaceful. And I hesitate to say, but like it's almost a Zen experience with, with, with Tom Waits kind of not, I don't know if it is a narration. He kind of does, he does chip in uh, from time to time. Kind of Rumblefish-esque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some poetic asides. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a, a real what the fuck moment at the end that, that you will, that no one will see coming. And and I didn't mind at all. It's completely insane, but I just went with it at this point. I'm I'm kind of glad to hear that that was your take on it because I remember I was I was quite excited about it in in concept, and like you said, great great font, interesting cast. Um, I'm a little burned potentially on quirky Tilda Swinton, largely because um, post uh, the Zero Theorem. Um, bless her she will always give it her all but i think sometimes that you know uh that leads kind of directors to maybe give her a little bit to a, a, a lot a bit broad potentially I, it may be that that's i'm the comedy scottish rap that she does in the zero theorem is possibly the most sing, the single most embarrassing thing in terry gilliam's filmography and i'm very much hoping that she doesn't go down that well, the Scottish here. accent is there, so uh, we we could be going down a dangerous road. But um, I, I did think that, oddly, the stuff that appeared in the... Maybe his stuff doesn't advertise well, like you say, because it is so meditative and it is a, a, a tone and an atmosphere and a journey that when you slice it up and drop in just bits and pieces, mm. some of the stuff in isolation ended up sounding a bit on the nose and, and possibly like a little strangely behind the times for a guy who's usually so i mean he doesn't really seem to give a shit about trends in filmmaking but like the um you know the uh the 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 iggy pop zombie moaning the word coffee is possibly within the concept of the film in in the scene it maybe plays better played in isolation it comes off as like oh so the idea of you know zombies wanting what it is that they like and jim jarmusch famously really likes coffee but it just felt a bit well, it is exactly that but there's, there's other things uh in in this in in this world the jarmusch zombies drink gallons of coffee and like smash them. okay uh and they say things like free cable and <laughs> Chardonnay and uh siri xanax ambien and uh snickers and stuff like that it's it, it gets quite repetitive 
but and and you you kind of see where he's going with it. I I would have guessed that the thing that would irk you the most would be the meta aspect of it because I I wasn't too sure about it. But I mean, I, I don't know. Right. Perhaps it'd be something you you would go with. But the idea that one of them knows he's in a movie, and the other one doesn't. Yeah. And like when when um uh, the Iggy Pop zombie and the female zombie that's with him, who I think is Jarmusch's partner, um, when when the their bodies and the bodies of their victims are discovered. Uh, there's, there's like a, a gif that we've put in the um, in the blog of this exact moment where it's like, what do you think happened here? And Adam Driver just says, I think it was zombies. And Bill Murray's face, just yeah. it, it's a picture, you know, because, you know, it's the, the last thing you would say as a responsible police officer. But um, that kind of leads to, to, to the tone of, of the film. He's very confident that it's zombies because he's read the script and he's been directed and he... And, yeah. Again, it's totally bizarre, but you either go with it or you don't. And by this point, thirty films in, I was just happy to have something very refreshing and 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 different. I mean, it makes for a nice capper, I think. You know, yeah, returning it to you know probably one cut of the dead and this, bringing it back to to the the you know the the traditional you know bite transmission death regeneration i'm eating flesh mindless zombies but doing both both in a very meta um take because you can't play it straight yeah. anymore it's and it's this done. manages to tick all of those zombie bingo boxes too um while while doing it yeah. because it's very referential uh, as far as looking at the films that came before and the other thing i've written is just that it's the ideal wind down well we did it well i'm 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 very impressed with our, with ourselves. Well, uh, I want to send my undying thank yous to you um, for accompanying me on this horrific journey. Um, it's been a lot of work, a lot of blogging, a lot of editing, um, but I'm I'm really glad we did it, and I, I hopefully we can look back with pride, and hopefully some people play along. Um, I hope we have at least covered most of the bases on this. Uh on this most fascinating of subgenres, And um, who knows, maybe there's still another great zombie film uh, to come and that, you know, maybe I'll shake myself out of my post-millennial <laughs> torpor and I'll... Uh, but I think there's there's some great recommendations that you've given and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting into a lot of the ones we talked about today. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, have we still got the child locks on? It's Devlin in London. Why do people riot anyway? It's not the 80s. They should stay in and watch telly. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Rewind!